Howard from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew Estate Studios in California. It's episode 269 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome back Steve Saka of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust as our special guest. And as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Delos Ray Cigars. Delos Reyes introduced another chapter of the saga, the Saga Celez. The Celez is a Spanish word that means leisure after work in the spirit of the standing ideal of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Celez is the perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. Saga Celez cards a burn of Criollo Olor and Peloto Cubano wrapped in a selected Ecuador Shade Claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance, a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in three sizes at affordable price. Ask your retailer for Saga Celez. And by Perdomo Cigars, awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humorous around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected in a will age for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed sun-grown, and a dark oil Cuban seed Nicaragua Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigars, a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo Double Age 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Perdomo Albano Bourbon Burged, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Menso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. By Cavalier Geneve. Cavalier Cigars, Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold and stay gold. Join the inner circle, follow Cavalier Cigars on their Instagram page at Cavalier underscore cigars or on their Facebook page at Cavalier Geneve Cigars. And that's Geneve, G-E-N-E-V-E. Visit your local tobacconist. Join that movement as Cavalier Cigars because they are consistently regarded highly by cigar lovers everywhere as well as high ratings by the Cigar Industry Press. Again, follow them on their Instagram page because they do some very unique giveaways throughout the whole year. Cavalier Cigars, Smoke Gold, and Stay Gold. And tonight, we're going to be doing a whole bunch of deliberations, and our industry deliberations are always sponsored by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. And there's no deliberation when it comes to Dunbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included eight consecutive top three appearances on the Halfway Consensus, including 2020 number one cigar of the year with Mi Carita Tricky Traka, and again in 2022 with the Mi Carita Black Saka Khan. Visit DTT Cigars to find a purveyor that carries the brands of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Episode 269. Today is Thursday, May 25th, 2023. Will Cooper, I'm in the Perdomo Scar Studios on the Black Stage, joined by my good friend and colleague out in California, Mr. Aaron Loomis. How you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good, actually. I got a, I got a long weekend coming up, uh, a few days off. Um, in the second half of it, I'll be down, you know, uh, doing a small vacation with my wife. So, uh, nice. Uh, yeah, we haven't done that in forever. I can just tell you that. So, uh, um, so yeah, it'll be pretty good. I'll be down in Atlanta, but I'm not going to the Phillies game. So that's the bad news. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> that, was, that was scheduled. Then I found out the Phillies were in town Sunday night. I'm like, yeah, that wasn't happening. So, <laughs> so, but no, doing good, doing good. We are, um, we're getting to a, uh, 
we're getting to that point where in I guess we're gonna be within a month of the PCA pretty soon. So uh yep. getting pretty excited there. Um and uh you know, we'll see what happens. I think the you know, I'm already seeing some of the act getting invited to some of the activities we saw this week. So yeah, that's when yeah. it really becomes real right now for sure. So uh so no, it's all good. Um so Aaron, why don't we just get right into things with our guest here? Let's um do it. so it's uh, it's been a while since we have this guy on. Um but always great to have him on. Uh, he's the one and only Steve Saka of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Steve, welcome back to Prime Time. And a paid advertiser, I might add. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. That's correct. By the way, you are you are um you you I think are our second longest advertiser. Yeah, it's because I just have really low standards. <laughs> I'm the guy that, hey, can you give me some money? <laughs> yeah. No, no. He told me He told me at Abe's event I should raise his rates, actually. He did tell me that. <laughs> yeah, look, and look, I've never changed this attitude. It's as curmudgeon and as combative and as, ost- uh, you know, as much as I like to go tit for tat, I have never shirked away from the fact that I like what cigar media does. <laughs> like the democratization of the of the media i like for there to be more voices even when i don't agree with them uh, i think in the i think in the whole ecosphere it's just good for the industry i think it's good for the enthusiast i, I think all the way around it's good so i i try to encourage where i can look there's certain parts of the industry that you know are off limits for me from an advertising perspective so I don't play that way. And some of them are because I'm not allowed to, and others are just because they're just simply too expensive. You know, I just, I can't be there, but there's no reason why I can't support, you know, the individual bloggers, media, you know, those people. It's, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Um, and then, like I said, I, I think it benefits everybody. It uh, no, we appreciate it. It's very much appreciated. You know, Steve, you know what's, you know, you know what happened next month is a 10 year anniversary of something in mid July. Do you know what that is? Mm, that would be, I guess, legitimately, it would be when legally they announced that I left Drew Estate. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was on the plane going out to IPCPR when the news broke. And, you know, obviously, you know, Stace Berkland, right? Yeah, and he was on that flight with me and we were just like busting balls on the, on the flight. And I was just like making stuff up and about like the Cubs and stuff like that. And then this hits and I go, Hey, Steve, Steve Saka just announced uh, he's retiring from Jewish state. And he just like, you crossed the line on this one. He's like, <laughs> I said, no, I mean, and so I show him it. He almost like, he was like shocked. I said, you go, no, I wasn't kidding on this one. I'm like, Look, it was, I think everyone was surprised. I mean, it's, look, uh, Drew Estate was really on the unbelievable meteoric rise. Um, It had been the second year in a row that Liga Pravada had gotten announced as the, I don't even know, what does Cigar Aficionado call it? The most wanted, hottest cigar brand. Right. I mean, no, everything, everything was clicking really, really well, so... It's really unusual. I mean, normally, there's only like two ways this goes, right? Obviously, I either 
like, you know, banged the CEO's wife, but that wasn't possible because I was the CEO. <laughs> I guess it was possible, but I wouldn't get you fired. You did do that, right? Right. Uh, or, or, you know, I, I foolishly decide to leave. And uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of people were really, really shocked. Um, I know a lot of people in the company were really, but they had a little bit of an inkling because I, I really, I really wasn't involved with Drew Estate much after February of 20, of 2013. So really the next three months were spent negotiating their buying my shares and how it was going to all work and the right. contractual things back and forth and, you know, a little bit in the beginning of trying to convince me not to go. Um, but they, they knew pretty, look, I don't, I'm pretty direct with everything. So I'm not much of a waffler, right? But, you know, at the point when, when I go in and say, listen, I'm not going to guys love you, but they know that the, butt has pretty much been thought out and it's the way it is. Um, and so there wasn't much of that at all. And uh, yeah, it is what it is. And then, but it ultimately, I didn't really care about the announcement. They wanted to have the announcement at the time that they wanted to have it. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether it's a good idea, a bad idea. I don't think it actually matters in the long run. It's one of those things that, I mean, I see, like I see online all these times where, I mean, you guys report on, when I say you guys, I mean the media in general. I don't mean yeah. specifically. Uh -huh. But I mean, I look at some of the, ridiculous small things well i think maybe this is my fault <laughs> okay but i see some of these you know uh personnel changes yeah they get talked about and i really think that like 99.9 percent .9 of the people a don't care at all and that 99.9 percent .9 of us that are in the business are like who's that you know what i mean so it's it's really kind of it's something yeah. But yeah it was pretty um like yeah like when when you reach out to a media entity to let them know you got fired to maybe see if you can get somebody that wants to hire you right instead of somebody actually like yeah doing some investigative work to find out right. you are not longer, no longer with the company we sort of yeah. happened this week yeah so. yeah maybe maybe that's how it happens maybe it is yeah. people floating yeah you know balloons yeah. hoping oh you know I'm, I'm now on the market come date me you know i i don't really know but um but yeah i think i think my departing drew at that particular moment in time was it was surprising to everybody I think it was probably surprising to everybody, but my wife. I was definitely surprised because I was on the safaris with you only a, a couple of months beforehand, and there was no inkling. You gave no inkling. Yeah, but that. look, what am I supposed to do? Right. I mean, sometimes you could sense something, but no. Yeah, but that's a dick thing. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. I'm, I'm a grown man. I can't control my emotions in yeah. front of, a, in front of a, a bunch of media guys that are there to get a tour of the factory. And, you know, and I'm... I'm not, I'm not big on drama. I really am not. I mean, I'm, I'm, I may be like really, but I'm, I'm not much of a, I'm not much of a cigar gossip guy, really. I mean, look, I, you guys interact with a lot of people. Right. And I'm sure there's a lot of people. I mean, really, honestly, Coop, when do I talk to you? I talk to you when we do a podcast. I talk to you whenever we happen to run into one another. Right. But I'm not the guy that kind of picks up the phone and says, hey, Coop, what do you, well, you know, what do you right. think of this? Or boom, boom, boom. Or did you hear that rumor? I, I've always been a keep my head down, do the bullshit I got to do. 
move through to the next task. That's that's always been. Yeah. I've never I've never really thrived, which probably hurts me, right? Because I mean, so much of our business is networking, and I'm really honestly, I'm not a good networker. I never have been. I mean, not in the traditional sense of in your industry with your peers. Um, there's there's very few people that I that I talk to on the regular. Yeah, and you know, I remember even when you were at you know, president and CEO of George State, you weren't as active on social media. You like it was at the time, that you know, but that yeah. wasn't my job. Right. My job was to manage the brands, develop brands, yeah. help direct the company, you know, put in infrastructure. I mean, mm-hmm. Jonathan Drew was the face of the company. Yep. Marvin Samuel was the other face of the company. My job was not to be the face of the company. Yeah. That wasn't that wasn't in the company's best interest. And in the long run, it definitely wouldn't have been in their best interest because I didn't decide to go. And how does that work? You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, that's true. One of the pitfalls that these corporate companies keep running into is they look, they themselves can't be the face. So then they invest in somebody that they think can be the face. And they spend a lot of money and they make that person the face for that relationship to ultimately not be forever. Right. And then it's always like a problem. And uh, so I I think it's uh, it's one of the challenges that, you know, you as a large company have Uh, the opposite side of the coin is as a small company, it's really hard for the person to be the face and actually to do the work that's necessary to be done too. So it's, yeah, it, there's no win-win here. It's, 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 it's a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a problem either way, but I mean, it, it is one of the challenges and you see, you know, you see STG going down this path. Now they're bringing, you know, known names into forged, you know, to, to try to, you know, to give them that bridge to the consumer, something that they themselves as a corporation really can't do. And, and and the thing is, we've seen this over and over again. Will those people that are currently the face, can they still be the face 10 years from now? You know, and, and I'm not, and that's, and that's not speaking ill of the big corporation, nor is it speaking ill of the person that's in the position of the face. But look, it's just reality. You know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a difficult situation, changing markets, different ideas and attitudes. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not, honestly, I don't know how I would function in that job. It's, it's one of the things that in the back of my head, I always think about, you know, like, let's say that somewhere down the road, Dunbarton gets bought out. Then that means I have to spend what, three years, five years doing the dog and pony show. Yeah. How, how does that work? Yeah. Can I do the dog and pony show? Would I be good at it? You know, I'd be good at it. Let me stop. I know I can do it. Right. But would I be happy doing it? Would I be able to do it in a way where, like you said, you were at Cigar Safari and you had no idea that this was whirling around my brain? And obviously at that point it was. I mean, yeah. I, mean I, I ended up turning in my resignation um, in February. So I was doing Cigar Safaris. Actually, I think even that month in February, I was doing them December, January, February. And I'm still doing my day-to-day gigs, so who knows? Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's a challenge. There's no doubt about it. No, definitely, uh, for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, but that's but that's part of that's part of life. And like, 
Um, you know, you just saying I, if someone did acquire Dunbar, I, I would think they you would have to be part of that deal, Steve, just because that brand is so synonymous with you. Yeah, but there's yeah. another reason why. Because look, even though the brand's doing incredibly well as a company, yeah. they aren't buying me for volume, right? Right. They're, I mean, my, my volume is like we're growing tremendously and we're doing right. super well, but we're 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 a flea on the backside. Yeah, we're not we're not bringing to the bottom line, you know, twenty five million units a year in sales. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, there's a significant difference there. So, yeah, I mean, part of the value is obviously me. Yeah. Now, whether that's a value or not, I, I would even question that. I don't know if I'd buy me. Um, so, but I mean, it is uh, it is something that's uh, a challenge. And the other thing, too, is I don't think I'd make a good, again, I could do it, but I like being in charge of shit. I just do. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I could see I could see that because even when you were at Drew State, it was it was not owned by Swisher at that point. So right. um and same with JR was owned by Lou when you were at JR. Yeah. But Lou yeah. was much younger in my career too. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I, mean, I get that. For me, it was really a lot about opportunity there to learn. Yeah. So yeah. I, I get that much different scenario. Yep, yeah, I got that. Uh, but you're you're in uh like I said uh eight years into this um and you're back at PCA and, and Steve you you got the jump on everyone with, with your announcements this year you went you went early with these announcements this year uh definitely got the, got the yeah I mean part of the reason why is I wanted to brace my uh look I have a lot of people that are really very gracious to Dunbarton mm-hmm. they really buy a lot of my products. And every time I make something, they're willing to take a risk and buy that too. And I just wanted them to kind of know how painful 2023 was going to be. And so that they kind of have like a little bit of a roadmap as to, okay, this one I'm interested in, this one I can't do, this one may, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it, it's a lot. And I, yeah. I know it's a lot. It's, it's, it's an absurd amount of projects um, that are really coming due in this next it's like an eight month window that's just utter craziness yep and uh and it, and it wasn't it wasn't a grand master plan it's part of obligations that got pushed you know that i just i'm so behind on i, I have to do them whether i want to do them it's projects that i didn't think were going to be this year that you know like i did not know going into I did not know when I did the drop in November of Red Meat Lovers that Red Meat Lovers was going to be a nationwide release, you know, at this year's PCA trade show. Right. That was that was not a that was not a oh, that's what I'm doing next year is my big PCA release. I I had something entirely differently planned. Okay. And it was one skew and a new brand, much simpler, you know, not a whole thing you know, like this is so, so there's been some things that, you know, have been, I mean, I could have said no, but there's some things that have been out of my control. Right. And then there's other things that just, you know, I have projects that have been taking a long, long time to do. Plus, but I, I didn't know that famous was going to want to, I mean, we made, I made famous 80th for three consecutive years. Right. I made it, I made it for their 80th anniversary, their 81st and their 82nd. And they sold out all three times. 
And then they didn't talk to me about it for two years. And I didn't talk to them about it because I was just so busy. It was kind of, okay, great. And now all of a sudden they're like, hey, we want to make it a permanent part of the famous portfolio that we always have this famous 80th, you know, you know, it wasn't again, just kind of comes out of the blue and here you go. Four yeah. more regular production skews. Can't say no, right? I mean, what? it's an honor to be asked to make a company a brand full time like that. And for them not to be asking you to do some sort of, hey, what can you give me cheap? And what's this? You know what I mean? That's yeah. They're, they're asking me to actually make them a top tier quality cigar that, you know, features their name. And so there's been a lot of things like that. And, and I get in and, and there's, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just been kind of the way it worked out. I, I, I wish I could tell you there was some, I, I think the biggest problem I'm going to have is it's almost, it's too much. It's all getting stacked on top of one another. And I'm afraid that, I'm just going to be snuffing out my own flame. I always say that every year, but I think this year is the worst ever. I mean, this year is just, I mean, it's. I kind of feel like you have to be in a special club now to keep up with your stuff. Yeah. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I feel that way. I mean, it's got to the point now that I've given up trying to have it organized. Yeah. I literally just keep it in a, in a, in a note. Yeah. A plain old Apple note. This yeah. big, large laundry list. <laughs> Okay, that I can just scroll up and down and add notes. You know what I mean? Because the yeah. way I used to do, you know, everything with project management, little Gantt charts and little timetables and timelines, because I like to be very, very organized. Uh, I would literally doing that is a full time job. There'd be no time to actually do the work <laughs> if I was doing the proper way of project managing these projects. And the other thing, too, is so as much as I have. I'm also sitting here, what, we're six weeks from the trade show, roughly. I don't know what's going to show up and what's not going to show up. I mean, look, we're going to have products to put on display, but I was really hoping to drop Red Meat Lovers right as I was coming back from the show. You know, I was, I'm hoping that Krakatoa is still going to hit in September. I'm hoping that Papasaka can go out the door really quick. I mean, Popetta is on my timetable for an August delivery. Uh, Pometa, Popetta may go a little earlier because cigars are ready. Packaging is much easier. You know, I, I'm still juggling stuff. You know, I, I don't, I don't really, really know exactly. I'm gonna have a lot of stuff to show off. What will I actually have that can convert to cash? Um, that's a little bit up in the air right now. We'll see. Yep. And and there was some confusion with some folks. Popetta's not going. Popetta, I know it's being replaced as the event cigar, but it's not going away. It's a national release now. You have for that. Yeah, I mean, look, we've used Popetta as the event cigar, I think, for about the last two years. Right. Um, I know there's a lot of consumers out there that they're buying my stuff so they can get more Popetta. That's a little crazy. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, so and the other thing too is Popetta's always been made from the table clippings of, you know, so Popetta has real wrapper on it. It's the it's the outside cuts on the broadleaf that we're using, so that's good. The binder's fine. Um, it has one base of seca that's a full filler leaf that's necessary to give the cigar structure. But the bulk of the cigar is mixed filler. It's made from the production of Mi Querida and Tricky Traca and Ombagog and 
Now it'll be red meat lovers because red meat yep. lovers is in that same, a lot of the same tobaccos are in red meat lovers. Right. Um, at this point, it's just too many table trimmings. Yeah. You know, and the more I can use, um, the better it is for all the other brands because it helps to reduce the costs on everything else. So if I have a place to take this tobacco and utilize it and consumers like it, so now Popetta becomes a full-time thing. Now, uh, it'll be interesting. It's one thing when you get something for free, or it's not free, but as a bonus item, something you were going to buy anyways, versus now you actually have to open your wallet and buy it on the regular. Yep. I, I don't know. I mean, only time will tell me whether, you know, consumers, it's one thing for people to rave about it when it's a bonus item. It's an entirely different thing for people to buy it as a regular production item. Um, I, I won't know the answer. I will say this. If history is any sort of indicator, traditionally, these projects don't tend to do well. Very rarely do these event-only products, when they're actually put into regular production, do consumers yeah, really buy long-term. They seem to have a rather short life cycle on the show. But there, it does fill something in your portfolio to have that Cuban sandwich type cigar. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. So it, it does. So I think. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. Other like a lot of the other cases, it doesn't have a place to fill the portfolio. So this one, that's why I'm, I'm looking at it differently, and uh, to see if people, you know, would would buy it. You know, to to have that because it, it's still affordable. That cigar, you know, more affordable. Well, I don't even know exactly what the number is going to be, but I imagine it's going to be sub eight dollars. I'm pretty sure. Right. Of that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I'd like for it to be seven. Um, I haven't done the final math on it yet. That's something I've got to accomplish here in the next couple, three weeks um, to figure out where it really can be. My goal is to make it as, it has to be profitable or it doesn't make sense, but I don't need for it to be as profitable because the profit for me comes in the utilization of the tobacco. So for me, is there's an incentive, the same thing with Umbagog. Umbagog is legitimately a $12, $13 cigar. It really is. But that is an incentive to me because I need to sell a lot of Umbagog in order to keep the standards of the wrapper. Yeah. Uh, now Red Meat Lovers is going to become part of that problem too because it's going to get more broadleaf wrapper and it has to be really top tier. So, yeah. so it's kind of the same scenario. And look, and, and that's where I'm going to have, I have this problem with brulee now. Brulee has become an issue. Brulee is just continues to grow exponentially. And I'm now having to buy so much more Connecticut shade and I'm not getting to cherry pick as much as I would like to. And as a result, I'm buying a lot of wrapper and I don't want to degrade the quality that's being used on brulee. So I now have that wrapper and I've been selling some of it off to other factories or even to the same factories, and they're using it on a, a lower tier product. There's nothing wrong with the tobacco. It's just just not as pretty. Right, right. Yeah. right. And look, when it comes to Connecticut Shade, at this price point, when I'm selling a, I don't even know what brulees are. They're like $13 to $15 on average. Mm -hmm. You're selling someone a $13 to $15 Connecticut Shade cigar. It has to be a pretty Connecticut Shade cigar, right? You can't, it, it can't look like the whatever, the, the, xyz that you're getting from ci for so many you know 10 cigars for 80 bucks it can't look like that so uh so in order to maintain that quality and for the numbers to make sense there's going to have to be some solution for brulee 
just the same way as there had to be some solution for Mikey Rita. So Mikey Rita, we have Umbagog, and we now will have Popetta, Brule. I have to come up with something, which honestly was going to be this year's release. Okay. That is now getting punted to next year. Now, what's really convenient for me, oddly enough, is because of the trade show being moved to March, which I'm happy about, it really dramatically shortens the development cycle, right? Because like, as you can see, here I am now saying, I don't know if I'm going to be ready for the trade show or not, right? And I had a full 12 months. <laughs> well, now I'm going to have like eight months, right? right? So it's really convenient that I already have got a jump on what my 2024 release is going to be because I had intended on it being my 2023 release. So it's some odd, weird bit of fate. It somehow is seeming to work to my advantage in that case. But of course, what do I do? I decide to make the packaging much harder because that's just what I love to do. Take something that's going to be easy and just, oh, let's make this messy. Um, but I'm excited about the direction I'm going with it. So I'm going to go through that hoop, and which probably means as much as I'm saying I have a jump on it, I'll probably be wondering if I'm going to make that deadline in March. We'll see. <laughs> Well, I mean, you can have it at the show and ship it later in the year, right? Yeah, no, not with this one. Yeah. This one, this one is gonna require to be this one. Look, cigars are no problem. The blend's done, everything's done. It's it's the packaging that's gonna be the problem item for this one. Right. Is Polpetta gonna remain a bundle? Uh no, it, it it's the thing. I mean. Popet is now going to be in a box, but it's a, it's about as cheap a box as you can make okay. without it just looking like a total piece of crap. Uh-huh. But I mean, it's, it's like literally in like a, I don't even know what the box cost is. Again, I haven't done the math, but it's probably in a box. that's like $6, which is now a cheap box in Nicaragua. Sure. Cheap boxes used to be $350, $375, you know, $450, but we're, we're the, you know, post COVID, all the inflation. Pretty much cheap boxes were pretty much at the $6 level. Decent, okay boxes were at eight. Good boxes were in 10 to 12. And right. really nice boxes were just regretfully at 20 bucks anymore. It's insane. Wow. wow. Yes, it's done. It's, it's really, really expensive. Right. And, and because I needed to sell, things that are in bundles are good for when people know about them. Right. But I remember when I started Umbagog, there wasn't much of it. Umbagog was a, sometimes it was there and sometimes it wasn't. I would go four months, there'd be no Umbagog because if I didn't have wrapper that didn't, I had to stack up enough wrapper that was not right for right. Mikarita to produce Umbagog. And now Umbagog, because now we make so many Mikaritas in its various genres, um, now Umbagog has become a full-time production item. Yeah. But what that allowed is it allowed for that bundle brand to have time to find a consumer base, right? I didn't need for it to sell. It, it just, it was okay. And, you know, cause it was really probably, probably wasn't until like the fourth year where Umbagog became a all the time available to the readers and we still run out. Okay. But we run out for 30 right. days, right? Just waiting for the next container. Um, so it, it took a little bit of while where with Popetta, Look, uh, we're, we're generating. Look, even with Popetta, I don't even know if I'll be able to sell enough Popetta to cover my needs. 
Now, right. Luckily for me, I'm not using all the chop from these process from any of these brands. We're we're not just scooping. It's not like a traditional Cuban sandwich where just everything goes yeah. into the into the pile. We're 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 selecting individual bits of leaf, and it actually is a specific blend. So, uh, but I I need to use about 35 percent, and I'll be very lucky by launching Popena nationally this year if I consume ten percent of that. But if I don't start now, when am I going to start? So if I get ten percent utilization this year, maybe I get fifteen next year, maybe I get twenty two the year after that. You know, so it's it's marching in the right direction, and and that's and that's what I need to have happen. Got it. Yeah. So this this new event to go to Potapero. This is the Mi Carita Green. Is this a different blend? Is this just? Yeah, I mean, but it's 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 a different blend in the same sense as blue, red, and black, right? I mean, they're all the base core, right? It's really, it's just really me fiddle fucking around the edges. Yeah. You know, to make it a little bit different. I mean, I think. I think it's I think it's very distinct the difference between blue and red. I think I think that it's very hard as a consumer to not be able to tell the differences between those two. I think when you start getting into black, it gets a little muddy, right? right. Um, I think I think for a lot of people that smoke Umbagog, I think they find it muddy sometimes with me K Rita Blue. I can understand why. They're, right. they're very close to similar blends. I mean, I can see, even though I can just taste the difference in red meat lovers. I don't know whether the typical consumer is really going to see the difference. It's one of the reasons why I'm keeping red meat lovers in the Prensado format, because by keeping it in the Prensado format, it, it changes the way the cigar smokes. That, right? They all smoke different, all three. I'm smoking the original right now. This is yeah. the first one. But yeah, they right. all smoke. So, yeah. I mean, so uh, by keeping it Prensado, other than the beef stick, beef stick's just quirky and it yeah. happens to be one of my personal favorites. I like that. That beef stick was my favorite of the three, actually. I, I keep it in there. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, the other ones are all Prensado formats to provide some separation for those customers that maybe they don't have as a acute a palate. Right. right? Um, and, you know, because you know, remember, it's my job to smoke stuff and tell these little differences. Plus two, I'm not like the average guy that maybe they smoke a Mike Rita on this Sunday, and then two weeks from now they smoke a Mike Rita red, and then the next week, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I'm just smoking this stuff incessantly, back to back, yeah. you know, two fisting, six cigars lit, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's I'm not having the same experience that the average cigar smoker is having. So for me, it's like, oh yeah. That's this. Oh yeah, it's that. You know what I mean? Yep. I, I don't expect most consumers who are smoking for pleasure and relaxation and enjoyment to be able to separate that out. Yep. So, you know, keeping red meat lovers in a Prensado format helps provide another degree of separation. Yeah, got it. Now, is red meat lovers your brand? Are you is it, is it licensed to you? No, no, no. Red Meat Lovers is Evan Darnell's brand. Okay. He, he owns the trademark on that. It, right. it all stems from his uh, Red Meat Lovers Club. Yep. Um, look, Evan's primary business is to be the hostess with the mostess. Yep. He puts together these uh, these big um, uh, dinners um, that yep. are almost always focused on overconsumption and 
you know, beef and yep. but it's not just beef. It's it's pork. It's pastrami. It's anything that's like gluttonous. Right. Okay. That's that's what he does. Right. Um, and he has always had some sort of. He's also very big. At a, there's always a charitable component to it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just happened to be on Abe's KMA program in studio the same day that Evan Darnell was there for the first time when Abe met him yep. or maybe Abe had met him before, but the first time he invited him on the show and he brought in the big platter of meat, boom, boom, boom. And, and really what happened was from that meeting in that day, it was kind of like, Hey, you want to make a cigar? You know, there's a lot of cigar smokers that are beef guys, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of similarities. Why don't we make a cigar for a charitable event for a dinner? And that's where I said, look, I'd love to do it, but it's just too much work. Right. Um, and Abe said, well, you know what? Uh, what if we make so many of them and then whatever we don't use at the event, I'll sell those as one of my, uh, what's he call it? The micro blends? Micro blends, yep. Micro blends. So it became his micro blend for the year. Yep. And and that, and that's how it began. It began very innocuously. Yep. Um, but Evan owns the brand. and. Abe and Evan have some sort of side deal between them. Um, I don't, I'm not privy to the details of it. I just, uh-huh. it's none of my business, but I don't own the brand. Okay. I'm just the guy that got hired to make the cigar. And because the cigar didn't suck and it sold out, I got hired again. And basically that's just been the way right. it was. And, and it got to the point where, um, you know, Evan's grown. And obviously Red Meat Lovers as a brand has grown. It's become... I'm not sure because you have to ask Abe, but I think it's his best selling ever micro. It, it, I believe it is. I believe it is. I mean, he's done more. He's done a, probably, I think he's done two runs of the first two and then one run of the beef sticks. So he's done five runs of that, which is, I think, the most he's done on a micro blend. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And it's then, a lot. Yeah. And then, you know, particularly with the last couple of years. I don't know. When did we start doing the pre-orders? Is that two years ago or three years ago? I can't even remember. I think it was two years ago. I think it was following that digital great smoke is when that all got implemented. I think it was, I think actually we've had three generations of pre-orders. Two Prinsados. Yeah. I think you're right. Two Prinsados, one beef stick. No. And then the two Prinsados and one beef stick have been, have been the, have been the way it goes. So I think that, uh, because the first year we did the one year smoking, the second year we did a repeat of that one, the the six by fifty six Boreo. Yep. Then the third year was the year we did the first the meat box press, is what Abe called it. Yep. And um and that's when we uh and that's when he did the first pre order. And then once we started doing the pre orders, it totally changed the numbers because hey, you just look. You never know how many of anything to make, right? Right. And it's one thing when you make a brand that. Don Barton's going to make a brand and do a nationwide release. And if I make too many of them, well, I then just don't yep. make more until I sell through what I overmade, right? I mean, or if I make a totally bonehead mistake, I right. close it out and I try to get my money out. But luckily, that's never been the case with me. Um, so, but when you're making this single shop store exclusive and you only have one person that you can sell it to, it's risky for him. Because he doesn't want to buy too much. It's risky for me because I don't want to sell him too much. That's going to put him in a position that's going to end up reflecting bad on the company. So I, I think when we did that pre-order, it really changed things because 
we really didn't have any idea how much demand there was. Right. And now when you would let a consumer decide of their own accord to, hey, yeah, I really like this cigar enough, or I've really heard enough about this cigar, I really want to try it, uh, for them to be able to place a, a small deposit to guarantee that they're going to get a, get cigars. Yep. Um, and that and that really that really dramatically shifted the equation because now there's no risk for him. There's no risk for me. Yeah, you know, maybe 10% of the people forfeit their deposit, which I don't even think the number is that high. You'd have to ask Abe that question, but I'd be yep. surprised if it's over 3%. But but even in that scenario, if he wins, because he gets to keep the deposit, which is just sheer profit if he didn't have to deliver <laughs> yeah. He gets to sell the product to somebody else, right? Yep, yep. So, I mean, it really, it takes the risk factor out of the whole thing. And you're like, oh, wow, I can make 3,000 of these? Who knew, right? Yeah. You would never do that because it's just so risky. And, and look, it's, uh, I, I, I think that people don't, I, I don't think that most consumers and maybe not even most of you guys, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but I, I know that most people, including other retailers, for sure, they don't realize what a monumental feat it is to make 500 limited edition whatevers and have one single retailer be able to sell all of that through. I mean, and... and, and I was going to cover that with you, Steve, because what I've seen you and Abe do and, and that with the dojo release is pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but I'm doing it with Ronnie with Secreto. I'm doing it with Rockies with U-Boat. Yeah. Um, I'm doing another batch of Barbara Amarillo for my friends at Small Batch. I mean, I, I've been really blessed on this, you know, and, but I, I, I know people out there like, well, why don't you just make more? You always know it's going to sell out. No, I really don't. <laughs> I mean, you really don't. And you always sell out until you don't sell out, right? And then when you don't sell out, then it's like, oh my God, what did I do just now? You know, and it's uh, it's always a little, it's a bit risky. It's a bit touch and go. And, and that's where the pre-order thing just so changed the game because then it let the consumers be happy. Yep. Okay. Because they knew they were going to get it. There was no fear of missing out. There was no rush to, you know, bang your keyboard like a madman. And it was good for me because then I had real production numbers. It was good for Abe because he knew how many he was going to have. And then he could plan for, okay, and I want to buy so many extra. So I have it in my shop and yep. I have some leftover to put in samplers throughout the year and, and all those things. So it just made everyone's life so much better on something like that you know where yeah. when i launched Mike rita tricky traka if i make a few thousand boxes more than i should have well guess what i just don't make some Mike rita tricky trakas for a few months and i let my inventory stable out right or i don't or i do make but i cut the production down okay so that i'm not banging out as many much more manageable, but with these exclusives, there's there's a risk factor every time. Has but none of them have bombed for you, Steve. I mean, but until, it, until there was a bust, there one, there was, yeah, there was not one bust you had. Okay. It. <laughs> but let's let's stop here. Okay. Look, I don't like to name other brands, so but you guys, let's think about how many companies have been super hot and everything they did sold out instantly, and now those things don't. Yeah, I mean. 
there's a lot of companies, okay, that you know used to just didn't matter what they touched. There was a two three year window there where bam bam bam. It's right. It's not no. There's 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 no guarantees. So it's got it's got to be care. You got to be careful with it. You really do. And the other thing too that you really have to be careful with from a business perspective is to not become reliant on those. Yeah. Those need to be the whipped cream, the cherry. Right. They need to be that little bit of extra something. It's nice. But if you get yourself as a company in the mode where you're living on those things and those are the most important things you do every year, then that eventually is going to become a real, real problem. You, you, you need that core, steady production. You need to have some real brands that people smoke regularly in their rotation that they're willing to consistently buy boxes on. You absolutely have, because even with as many of these things as I do, huh, let me think about this. Um, this year is probably more than ever before, but it's still like maybe 8% of my total production, you know, if even that much, because red meat lovers won't count anymore because I'm now making those for regular. But I mean, if you add up, you know, that's not even 8% really. Now I'm thinking about it because famous 80th doesn't count because that's now going to be a, a regular stocking brand too. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably less than five. I didn't really, I didn't do the math before I got on here. But again, my bottom, my big point is the fact that you as a company cannot rely on that. Because eventually something won't land that way. Right. And as soon as the first one doesn't, it tends to it tends to typically go like a little bit of a domino. It's 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 sometimes hard to recover from a a loser. It really is. And, and look, one loser doesn't put you out of the game, but two or three in a row, yeah, that pretty much that pretty much ends you. And if you're those brands that are relying on that being your great, your bread and butter, you got a real problem. Yes. Steve, what is your motivation for doing a limited edition or a single store release? What What is like your, because again, you, you, you probably want to rely on building great core brands year after year, but what, what is your motivation to do that then? This is, this is going to, first off, I would just like to do a lot of different stuff, right? Because, uh -huh. For me, the cigar part, the blending part is the fun part of the gig. Mm -hmm. Most of the rest of it sucks. So for me, that's the best part. Right. But doing those things is not good for your bottom line. Okay. Because it's really hard to make money. Right. Sell 500, 10 count, whatever's. If you didn't just cut something a half inch shorter or throw a different wrapper on it or swap a band around or something. But if you're actually making something that is, really truly uniquely different um it's a loser and so for me uh, i've always been very open about this i'm really open with it the people that ask me to do it it's a marketing exercise that's what it is i mean look we didn't make unico series liga provadas at drew estate to sell dirty rats and flying pigs and all of that we did it to keep liga provada in the front of consumers mind and to, you know, bring, always be in the conversation, right? Because right. You, look, you're hardcore guys that, you know, they have four boxes of this at home and two boxes of that. Uh, they, they want the next thing. So you have to give them something 
that keeps them interested in your brand. And as they're staying interested in the brand, it also allows for the other people behind who've never heard of you to potentially then hear of you to allow you to grow your core. And so, so for me, it's always been about a giving me a way to do the fun stuff I like to do, but also doing it in a way that makes the most sense for the company. So that means that for me, I like to do them for people that are really good at their consumer outreach and engagement. Those yeah. are the people that I like to do these projects for. It's not the people that are necessarily my largest accounts. It's not necessarily the people that are willing to give me the most money. Well, it definitely isn't. And it's definitely not my largest accounts either. Um, now, look, Smoke In has become one of my largest accounts, but he wasn't when we started Red Meat Lovers. Sure. That. Um, so, I mean, it's uh, so it's really about finding that right person to partner with because when I make 500 or whatever, and because of the recent, you know, the last five years track record, at this point, until one fails, it's pretty much like giving the retailer a hundred thousand dollar day. It's it's really it's just right. a, it's just a gift that falls into their lap, is what it is. And for me, it's a lot of work to make something that's unique, because I know that the people that are going to be buying the cigar, a lot of them are probably some of my very best customers. And they don't deserve to get a retread of something I've already made with a different stripe or a slightly different yeah. shape. I mean, they deserve to get something that is really different. And if it isn't really different for me to say out loud, it's this done this way. But I, almost always, not almost always, I'm just trying to think. Everything has been distinct. And one of the problems with doing everything distinct too is it means I have to go a little further off the reservation. <laughs> So like uh, frog juice for me, I'm still have very mixed feelings about that blend. There are times I smoke it and I love it. And I think, wow, this is amazing. And there's other times I smoke it. Man, I don't know what the hell I find appealing in this cigar. You know what I mean? So, but it, it now forces you to go a little bit further outside your own box. You know what I mean? And look, and maybe that captures a consumer that otherwise wouldn't smoke your brand. Because there isn't the same, there isn't as close a continuity blend wise, because yeah. you having to reach further out of your comfort zone. Um, but yeah, in the end, it's it's for me, and I, and I like it to be a mix between large people, medium people, yeah. and I like for it to be some small, just regular old brick and mortar, individual, family owned style shops too. You know, so I I, I like having that mix. Because, yeah, sure, it'd be easy to, I mean, everybody's asked me to make something. So it'd be really easy to just make something for the big guys with the big checks that are just going to buy right. you know, 5,000 of them instead of 500 of them. And it, it would be a safe play. But that doesn't really help me either. So a lot of it's kind of trying to, you know, keep Dunbarton growing, keep people talking about it, you know, giving my best customer something to look forward to something that's unique to be enjoyed, hopefully. And uh, so there's a lot of things for me that, that get encapsulated in that. But for every one that I'm doing, I say no to at least 15. I mean, it is crazy. You, yeah. But you, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, could, I could believe that. I can imagine you're getting pelted with a lot of these. Yeah. yeah and you're doing a lot. Of them. You're definitely doing a lot of them. And they're all well-meaning. Well, the other thing too that's really weird is 
most of these don't seem to die. See, normally you do a shop exclusive for a shop. Yes. And they do really well with it. But they don't actually grow it in year two and then grow it more in year three. That's the other thing that's really. But I think that has a lot to do with the fact of the people that I choose to do them with, that they're the type of people that can do that, you know, at their own scale. You know what I mean? Look, I've done U-Boat, you know, three times, I think, at this point. Rockies is not growing the way red meat lovers grows with smoke in. Right. Not even close. But it continues to grow. They continue to they make their videos. They do all sorts of things. You know what I mean? It's a it's a it's a good partnership. And even though I think you know some retailers will look at it and go, well, why didn't I get that? What they have to understand is if I did it for everybody, it would lose value. A and B. The idea is to get more consumers exposed to Dunbarton and my name and my products, which ultimately actually helps the sales grow in their shop even though they aren't the retailer that has Don Derma. But when yeah. you have someone like Ronnie at Secreto, who's willing to beat that drum and talk about your product and talk about your brands. And look, Ronnie doesn't, Don Derma is not a, I mean, Ronnie pimps my stuff like crazy, right? Across the board. He's, he's always been, his core sales are better than his Don Derma sales by far. Sure. You know what I mean, so, I mean, and, and that's what you're looking for is you're looking for that kind of partner that will do that kind of consumer engagement. And that helps to introduce your product as a brand to way more consumers that will then go into the shop in XYZ, Texas, or into a shop in Florida. Go, hey, do you have this product? Do you know who this guy is? Do you sell any of these cigars? Oh, yeah, we have them over here. You know what I mean? Or no, I've never heard of it. Why don't you tell me about it? So, I mean, it's, it's, there, there's definitely a marketing angle to all the exclusives yeah. and the way they're done. Yeah, and I think like, I've been very critical of this market lately, right? But I think you you hit a couple of points. One is I I see you genuinely like doing these, right? You have fun doing these blends, and two, you've you've definitely gotten the retailers involved with with, with you know partnering with you on these releases. So I, I think when you have those two, the ones I see fail, one or the other is missing. You know, they're checking a box or they just they put it on the shelf and hope it it sells. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I'm lucky about is because I have such good partners, I don't have to pimp much of it. So if you look at most of these, uh, you know, I'll talk about them a couple, three times in various social media posts before they come to fruition. When we get to the point that we have kind of like a first box or sample box or production, a picture there maybe. And then really it's only like, two days worth of me really talking about it, you know, and when I say talk about it, I don't even, I mean, I basically write, yep. put an Instagram post, a couple of different Facebook posts, but the, the retailer is doing the lifting, you know, and, and each time we do these, they become easier for the retailer because he has pre-built in sales, which, uh, but like I said, eventually one will flop, you know, it just will. Uh, I don't know when that's going to be. I, I hope it's not this year. Um, you know, I hope it's never. Of course. It, it is not. But, but I mean, at the same time, you you can't. I mean, I've just had an incredible lucky run of this. I mean, it really has been tremendous. It's it's unbelievable. No, that's a 
that's a it's it, like I said, it's a it's a market I've been critical of, but I think you you've done a good job with it. Now, do you this concept that we see a lot of companies do it, and you've done it sort of with a couple already? The idea of having a limited, and it's either a single store, or it's an LE, and then taking it to regular production is that a good model to follow? You think? Or look, not. It, can, it can be. I mean, look, I've done it. I mean, I did the Al Shop 75th as a as a favor, right? Um, to Zach. I mean, he's not a person that I normally would do something like this with, and it's not because right. It was the Al Shop 75th anniversary. He's three generations tobacconist in mm-hmm. the same physical location, right? You know, it's somebody that I personally, as a retailer, really respected, and it's someone that I've known his family for, you know two generations worth. And he asked me if I could do something for his 75th and it's COVID. His shop can't be open. Uh, two years beforehand, they had the street torn up in front of him. There was no parking. He's in Worcester, Massachusetts, terrible taxes, all anti-everything. So I said, yeah, I can do this. I don't even remember how many we made. We didn't, we didn't look, Zach's not that guy, right? Zach is a face-to-face tobacconist. Right. Amazing relationship with his brick and mortar customers. But up until now, he's never been much of a social media online. Right, right. I agree with you on that one. Right. So, I mean, how many boxes can you give him? You know, it's it's a bit risky. Yeah. So I think I think we did like 300 is what I I think. I don't remember the top of my head, but that sounds about right to me. And he had a really good experience. He sold them all out, you know, within 24 hours, with the exception of what he wanted to hold back. You know, I don't know how much he held back, 20 boxes or whatever. That's You'd have to ask him. But uh, that was a product that was a really good cigar. Zach knows that he can't be the guy to grow it. So, therefore, it becomes Muestra de Saka, the Bewitched. But that was not intended to start that way. Right, right. That was me repurposing one that then got made into the into a regular production item. Sure. And, and you know, so so I mean, and the other thing too about that part of that was also solved another problem for me because I've been fiddling around this stupid Krakatoa forever and just have never been satisfied with it. That I wasn't going to be sat. I wasn't satisfied then. And I had already not done a Muwester the year before. I'd skipped a year because I couldn't, I wasn't happy with the Krakatoa blend. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to skip yet another year. And it's kind of like, well, this is a really shitty annual release when I'm not going to go into my third year without a product. That doesn't make sense. So it was nice to have Bewitch be able to serve that purpose. Um, but it was never intended that way. But yeah, can you take something like that? And it's, I would argue that in some ways it's actually the best approach, you know, for, sure. for, for these smaller companies to, to get something that's small, that pops problem is, whereas I'm saying I'm not living off it, they are living off it. So it's easy advice yeah. to give when I don't have their bills. Right. So, yeah. but I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice to let something organically percolate like that and see what the demand is. I think at this point, I think Don Derma could be a national brand. I think uh, U-Boat, I don't know. U-Boat's, I love a cigar, don't get me wrong. Cigar, I like the U-Boat, yeah. But it would need a real packaging rework. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. 
to make that a nationwide kind of product. Um, and that's not saying that the packaging is bad, but it's not. I don't even know if the word U-Boat's a good brand name, to be honest with you, right? U-Boat was just the, U-Boat was the factory name I gave it. You know, it was just a kind of a, because it was based on Raul's U-Blend and it was me tweaking it. So I was like, what are we going to call it? U1, U2. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, they're just going to screw this. Just call it U-Boat. And, and that's where U-Boat came from was like literally no thought in any way whatsoever. It's just how they're not going to fuck these up in the cool room. You know what I mean? So you make this one U-Boat. Right, easy right. To remember, easy to spell, enough letters. Right. You know? So, I mean, that's where it, it wasn't like, oh, this is a brilliant brand idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have a lot more flexibility there. Nice. No, that's good. And I think that's the good. other thing that's a real challenge that and this is a challenge I'm running into with red meat lovers, which I'm very public about. There's a big difference between making a product that's in a paper bundle that you've got a guaranteed number of sales on that's pre-ordered for the exact number with a single customer who can afford to pay his bills always, right? Right. Versus making a nationwide brand that you now got to make on spec. You know, I've been rolling red meat lovers now since like last November. Okay. To build up inventory, to get it in the cool room so that when it comes time for the July release, there's actually cigars ready and more cigars in August and more cigars in September. So I put a lot of money into red meat lovers. Okay. And now it's got to be in a way that displays well on a shelf. Yep. Right. And look, it could be a $12, $13 cigar when you had that single seller guaranteed check. You knew exactly how many to make and it came in a paper bundle. It can't be that way in a nationwide release where now you got distribution and customer support and credits and debits and, you know, uh, you know, commissions to wherever you may have salesmen or, or brokers, it really changes the math. And it's one of the things that it's hard because in the beginning, you're trying to provide the maximum value and it's possible to do so. But that fat disappears when you now make it into a nationwide brand. Sure. And here you have customers that have been used to paying X for the cigar. And now they're going to be asked to spend 2 to $3 more a cigar. Mm-hmm. In order to actually make it an ongoing regular production spec brand, I mean, means I'm having to buy a lot more broadleaf, right? Where before I was like, okay, I just need to know I need to allocate roughly so much because yeah. I saw how much we were selling it smoke in. So if we sold 500 the first time, then we sold seven, 800, and then we sold 1700, and then we sold 3000, and then we sold four. You know what I mean? You have a, a you have a pattern. So I know, okay, this is how much extra tobacco I need to have on hand, you know, give or take, right? I have no clue how this is going to work out. So it's got me spending a lot of money, you know? I mean, I know, I know I'm going to go to the trade show and I know a lot of people are going to buy it. I you got to all the take my money people in the chat room. So yeah, but look, you <laughs> had all those take my money people up and what is it? 200 people? Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I love them and I appreciate right. this, but 200 people does not cover the nut of, you know, right. 30,000 boxes. Right. And when you announced Red Meat Lovers, Steve, 
look, I wasn't a fan of the paper bundles, but I understand why they did it, right? Because they were sold online. And my first reaction is, I hope the, there's not going to be paper bundles in the retail stores. Be, because yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I was yeah. glad to see you had boxes with those. I don't have a choice because a yeah. the retailer has to have a way to display it. Yeah, and Red Meat Lovers, even when it was in the paper bundle, it wasn't a cheap cigar. No, it's always been like between eleven. I think this last year was like fourteen or thirteen fifty or something, right? Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. So there's no way a retailer is going to buy a bundled cigar. That costs fourteen dollars. Right. It, it, it's just it's one thing for consumers to say it, but it's just not the reality of the situation. The retailer, you know, they want barcodes on this stuff, right? They, 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 they you know, Abe gets a few damaged bundles in a shipment. Do you think he calls me back? No, he eats the two bundles. He breaks it up. He smokes the cigars that aren't yep. damaged. He gives them to his staff. Yeah. But now, when you're sending a retailer four bundles of something. And those four bundles are damaged in the shipment. Guarantee you, he wants his money back. He wants a replacement. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. These are all expenses that are always happening all the time. Sure. And and I think it's 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 just part of the deal. So you have to put that product in a box. Yep. You, you just simply do. If we could not do it, most of us would love to not have to do this. We don't make money on boxes. They're a pain in our ass. They cause nothing but delays all the time. Yep. It's just, it's stuff that's so beyond our control. I mean, that's why you see a lot of companies eventually they get large enough, they open their own box factories. And it's not to save money, it's just to not deal with the nuisance of it, having no control <laughs> yeah. over what's going on. I mean, they do ultimately save money if they yeah. do it right. But, uh, but at the same time, it's, it's, it, that's the problem. So, if somehow we really could get rid of boxes, that would be great. But it's been a hundred, it's been 170 years and it hasn't happened yet. So I don't think it's going to happen in this decade either. Nice. All right. I'm going to shift some gears for some fun questions and then we have more industry talk. So, um, all right. So, hold on a second. I got to check where are the Celtics at right now? Give me a moment. I got to pop that up. Um, where they went, they were winning, right? Right. I mean, they've sucks until just the last game. Well, they, uh, they were winning. Um, and, uh, they, they are, it looks like they are going back to Miami for game six. So all those people who are jumping off the bridges and, <laughs> are, uh, <laughs> yeah, one, one ten to 97. All right. Go Celtics. Got it. Thank good, you. Sorry good. for the, the sideline there. No, no, we have some, we have a, we going to watch this podcast. And they're like, really? This guy's going to do this now? <laughs> Gonna- no, we're gonna hit you. We're gonna hit you with a sports trivia question anyway, a little bit. So. Oh, I'm gonna be terrible at it. <laughs> no, I I tried to pick something that may be in uh in your wheelhouse with that. All right, uh, we'll see. Yeah, um, I'll actually just go to it right now since we just did it. Right. So we have a segment called uh, this is Espinosa's Today in Sports History, sponsored yeah. by Espinosa Cigars, um, makers of the 601. The S the uh, the six hundred one the Espinosa and the Knuckle Sandwich lines, uh, smoke Espinosa, smoke Espinosa every day. So, um, actually, so Aaron, you, I think you probably know this one, but this happened in sports history today. Okay, in nineteen eighty four, the Boston Red Sox acquired Bill Buckner, uh, from the Chicago Cubs, but in the process, they gave up a Hall of Fame pitcher. 
Do you guys know who that Hall of Fame pitcher was they gave up in that trade? So I'm not a baseball guy, so I'm off the hook on this one. Okay, so you're off the hook. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna Aaron's, Aaron's going to get this one, I think. I obviously know about the Buckner game, so that part I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, have a, I have a guess, but the reason why I know it's wrong. It's probably right. I, yeah. Um, because people don't associate this. He won a Cy Young Award, if I remember right. He won a Cy Young Award, yes. So the only reason why I know this is because I follow – the the sports page for all the football, but stuff. he didn't win the Cy Young Award. The Cubs, the Cubs then gave up on him, and he went to another team. And that's when he became. Right, he was a minor league guy, right? No, he was not a minor league guy. No, I think when they did the trade, he was, wasn't he? Was, a, I think it was no, he Brooklyn. was he was no, he played for Boston. He was a he was a no, pitcher but I mean, for Boston. Oh, but I think he. No, I think he was a minor leaguer he, when they did the trade. He was around for a while. Okay, so you're saying it was it was Brumley? I think it's Brumley. Well, no, it wasn't Brumley. It was oh. the Hall of Fame pitcher. See, I'm not sure on this because the only guy I think of, like, yeah, I definitely don't know. That was the, the only guy I think of. I don't, I don't, I never knew that he was with the Red Sox, and he definitely wasn't around long then to go somewhere else. Because I was thinking Maddox, but he wasn't around before. Who was Maddox? He wasn't in Boston. Yeah, he didn't. yeah. I agree. All right, I'll give one hint. Okay. He was a starting pitcher with the Red Sox. Yeah. But he made his Hall of Fame career as a reliever. Okay. Yeah, you guys are off the yep. reservation. All right. Give me a second here. Yep. I'll let it cut. You brought the sports up, Steve, so I just gotta check my I can I can I can Google it. I know that. <laughs> but no one associates this pitcher with the Cubs. It was after he left the Cubs is when Okay, so is this are you t- is this Eckersley then? Yes, Dennis Eckersley. Okay. I got it. It was, I, I, was pretty good. Because I, yeah. I do know that he pitched for the Red Sox. I don't remember him pitching for the Cubs. He went to the Cubs, and then the, then he the Cubs gave up on him. He went to Oakland after yeah. that. Okay. And then he was originally a, a middle reliever, and uh, Jay Howell gets hurt, right. and he, he gets the closer job, and he just becomes and this Hall of Fame. Let it up. Yep. 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 See, myself looking up the Celtics is not the biggest gap in this show. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. I tried to pick something at least that was Boston related here. I appreciate. That. All right, but this next question, Steve, oh. okay, it's not sports related. Okay, this is a segment. We have... this, can we take a moment here? Yeah, I think I'm the only guy in the history of KMA Radio to lose against the stripper. Okay, in questions, <laughs> you did. Me, I don't know if you're the only one. I think there was a couple that lost to. Are you smarter than uh, I will say they brought in some crazy girl that actually was getting her PhD while being a stripper. Yes, okay. they, they brought in someone like they brought in they 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 stacked the deck against you from what I remember. And the way the question selection was, I got like all the pop culture questions, and none of them were pop culture from the 70s and 80s. <laughs> they were all modern, and I, I was just doomed. Yeah. So go ahead and ask your question, and I'm okay. gonna be very so, okay, so this is our Tobacco Era USA ties that buying question, and sponsored by Tobacco Era USA, makers of, of Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco Era USA, great things are happening here. So, Steve, ties that bind is, is it some, it's not a music question, but it's inspired by the Bruce Springsteen song, The Ties That Bind. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to name three things to you, and you have to tell me what they all have in common. Okay. Now, I'm looking for something specific. Okay. So, I'm going to name I'm going to name three countries. Don't tell me they're countries. There, there's more to it than just that, okay? But, you, Aaron, I don't know if you'll get this. Steve, I think you're going to get this, okay? And you'll know why. You may remember why. 
So the three countries are Brazil, Mexico, and the U.S. Yeah, there are three countries that grow broadleaf wrappers. They grow actual Maduro, not broadleaf, but they grow Maduro seed tobaccos. They're they're the origin locations for, of, I mean, you got Brasilia Marafina, you've got uh, San Andres Negro, and then you have Connecticut Broadleaf. So those are the pillars of the Maduro Sea. So each four of those, lo- three of those locations are the original Criollo countries for those tobaccos. Bingo. You got it. Yeah, I remember you told us this on yeah, that. See, tobacco of- questions were good. I didn't yeah. <laughs> <our> questions. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it was like, I think there were two others, right? That after it went to Cuba and then it went one other place. Right, then, right. So Cuba seed basically came from Mexico that ended up going to Cuba. Yep. It really wasn't Cuba. It was really Cuba and the Dominican and the, the island nations in the Caribbean. But Cuba obviously is where it became called yep. most known for being cultivated. And then the fifth one, and, and, what, and what Coop's leading to is, so look, all tobacco originates as one seed type, right? And what you have is in this, in this you know, smokable segment of t- tabacum, you have now like 67 different varieties, but those have happened or genuses that come from that. And of the 67, there's only two of them that are actually smokable. Right. Yep. And of those two, you know, air cure tobaccos are in, in one of the classifications. So anyways, um, so this is where air cured tobacco seeds naturally migrated from the, basically they believe it's the, foothills of the andes in peru where tobacco actually originated they believe that that was the birth seed and then that seed progressed all the way up and what ends up happening is because of the difference in the climate and the uh, the climate and the ecology of those individual places they then kind of develop into their own seed varieties because every year they're self-hibernate or self listen to me Obviously, had too much Noah. <laughs> it's self-propagating with itself. So what ends up happening is they become their own individual seed type, seed variety, and this has happened over the course of centuries of separation. Okay, because we didn't have where we would, you know, basically manually, you know, hybridize a seed or even manually impregnate seeds, right? To propagate it. This just happened naturally. The seeds would go to plants, would go to flower seeds. They collect the seeds and then they plant the same thing. So they kind of became their own thing, which made them the five basic criollos. And then what ended up happening was sent the seed that was in Mexico, central Mexico, translated out of the Caribbean islands. And again, it was being grown there for centuries with no cross pollination of any place else. So it became its own variety. So that's one of the, that's the fourth Criollo. And then the fifth one actually is in um, the Far East in Indonesia, Java, Sumatra. And that's really a result of Dutch taking seeds from both the Caribbean basin and also from Mexico and those Dutch transporters taking them to grow tobaccos in Indonesia. But Indonesia was kind of a market onto its own up until like the mid 1950s, 60s, right? So those seeds were grown in their own little ecosystem, basically self-propagating for roughly four centuries, almost five centuries. So it kind of became its own building block. 
And those are the five basic building blocks that every single air cured tobacco seed that's grown today can draw their origin back to those five. Yep, I remember. And that way that came up on one of the Drew. So I remember you just you were holding court one night and you started talking about this. I don't know how the topic came up. Uh, and I kind of um, I had I remembered it. So uh, I have to say, it's been a long time since I've had that conversation. So it wasn't too polished. Well, it's over <laughs> 10 years ago. right? So, <laughs> no, so I, I figured you would you would get that one uh, pretty, pretty easy. Uh, or one for the non-stripper. Yeah, that. <laughs> All right. Now, another question after you. There's, there's no wrong answer to this one. Uh, it's our cattle baron state question of the night. And I don't think I've asked you this one, but you're a meat lover, so I know you're not a, a vegan or anything. Uh, a hamburger. How do you like your hamburger? Um, I like my hamburger. First off, I don't like any of that lean burger meat. I like I like an 80-20 mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a burger needs to be juicy. You should if you're if you're health conscious, you should be eating a damn burger to begin. Okay. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, look, the speaking of vegan, I love those Morningstar spicy black bean burgers. They're good. Right. They're good. Those they are, are very good, good, by the way. They're yeah. actually good to eat, right? It's not yeah. a supplement. It's something hey, I don't substitute it for a burger, is what I'm saying. So, I'll have it just so, something else. Yeah. And I like my burgers kind of like a little bit over medium. Right. Medium, even a little like between medium and medium. Well, you know what I mean? Right. Um, I don't I like them to have kind of a pink center and still for there be a lot of juice. That's why you need the fat. But I don't I don't tend to like to eat my hamburgers on the raw side. I'd rather they be closer to well done than to rare. Mm. The other thing, too, is I like a lot of. uh, I'm very simple with the seasoning on it. I like like a really heavy kind of sea salt a granular salt and I like a coarse ground black pepper. Yeah. Um, and I, and I liked a real, a lot of black pepper and uh, the only cheese in my opinion that deserves to be on a regular traditional hamburger is a good, good slice of cheddar. Okay. Yeah. If it's a cheap burger, you can go with your American cheese. Cause you just need that <laughs> extra gooey fatness to cover up for the burger. But I, but I, I, I like, I like cheddar as my melted cheese. Separate of when you're making the specialty things, you know, like Swiss and, and you know, mushrooms and all that. Yeah. You know, I, I understand why I got to go Swiss in certain cases. But, uh, and um, on the buns, I like the buns toasted. I do too. Lightly toasted. In Lightly fact, toasted. Uh, mm-hmm. just uh, last or two weekends ago for Mother's Day, I always just buttered them to toast them. Yeah. But my oldest son, he showed me to put mayo on it too. Right. Right, so it's butter and mayo. I gotta tell you, that worked out amazing. Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really because the mayo, the extra fat, it ends up leaving the bun a little more tender. Okay, it doesn't crisp <laughs> the same way. You get that really nice crispy edge, but without taking any of the of the chewy fluffiness out of the out of the yeah. things. I was impressed with the. Uh, the combo butter mayo rub toasted bun. So that that's being added to the repertoire. And then coming from Texas, I'm a, I'm a mayo and mustard guy on a burger. Okay. Definitely the most detailed answer we've gotten to that question from anyone tonight. Yeah. Uh, not tonight, but throughout when you ask kids. You don't think I think about my food? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've seen what you went through with the meatball contest. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Uh, all right. I mean, I, 
I very rarely will like I'll never put lettuce on a burger. Yeah. I only get lettuce on a burger because it comes that way at a restaurant. Right. Um yeah. maybe sometimes a little bit of onion. I prefer, but I like just a couple little thin slices of tomato. Mm-hmm. I, I like a really simple burger, I guess. Most right. people have gone for the simple burger. Like the toppings, they go simple. They don't go like crazy with toppings. I think there was one person answered that had a lot of toppings, but most yeah. of the that's the general consensus that when I'm we like, ask I'll eat a bacon burger, cheeseburger when I'm out, but I never make bacon cheeseburgers at home. Yeah. You know, but part of that too is when you're out because the burger meat typically isn't all that great. So the bacon just helps the burger be better. Yep. Yep. No, it's uh it's uh it's definitely the case. I agree with you on that. And the other uh, two I don't like I like about a third of a pound. I don't like the patty to be like really super thick. I, I like it to be right around a third of a pound. I I don't want much bun overhang. You know, so I don't want it to be too spring. Yeah, I guess I did think a lot about it. Never Someone said you went through that description like a well, you know, cigar only blend. I exactly. turn, only I can turn this question into 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Precise measurements and stuff now. No, yeah, exactly. That was a good answer. No, it was a great answer. All right. So what I got to do is I got to do a couple of sponsor reads, Steve, and then we have some more questions and we'll get back into some industry talk after that. So, all right. So uh, if you need to stretch, go ahead and stretch. Um, But first, let me mention... um. JRE Tobacco, the authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most flavorful tobacco, to, flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars of Cuba, it's a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Of course, it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate. It fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamasran Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to scar production, the Jerry Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corolla. Now with Jerry Tobacco, Julius and Husso brought their very own brand to market, and each contain the authentic Corolla leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Candela, and each represent the Golden Age of Scars from 1947 to 1961. Now available at your local retailer, be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And by Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, they take fact that they are cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers such as Padron, Aganorsa Leaf, Drew State, and I believe even Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. Uh, they have the best selection, the best customer service, and money-saving discount cigar prices. But don't just take their word for it. Forbes magazine selected Corona Cigar Company as best of the web. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retail by Smoke Magazine. And Cigar Aficionado wrote, Corona Cigar Company in the largest best stock cigar shops in America. You can place an order online at their website or visit one of Corona's four Central Florida cigar superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. I want to mention again our friends at Cavalier Geneve. You want to smoke gold and stay gold. And once again, join that inner circle. Follow Cavalier Cigars on their Instagram page at Cavalier underscore Cigars. Or on their Facebook page at Cavalier Geneve Cigars. Again, Geneve, G-E-N-E-V-E. Join the movement that is uh, Cavalier Cigars. They're consistently regarded highly by cigar lovers everywhere, as well as high ratings by Cigar Industry Press. Follow them on that Instagram page because they do some very unique giveaways throughout the whole year. Cavalier Cigars, Smoke Gold, Say Gold. And we're going to get into our Alec Bradley Live True segment sponsored by Alec Bradley. Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley. 
Visit alecbradley.com to find out more about their cigars. Live true. So, Steve, uh, is Steve back? Yeah, he's back. Okay, I didn't see him for a second. Um, I had him covered. So, Steve, these are these are not uh, sometimes like these are kind of some more random questions, but I have some questions about you mixed in with some questions on tobacco in here and some random thoughts. And I have six things for you here. All right. So here's the first one I'm going to throw at you, Steve. In your biography, someone writes a biography about you. All right. And these three things are in your biography. Which one of these three things do you want to erase from the biography? And, here, and here's your choices. One is scheduling one of your epic road trips in the truck going all the way across the country, traveling thousands of miles. Two is your exploits of capturing the woodchuck. Or three was wearing a dress with Abe and Nimesh. One of those three have, is going to get erased. Which one is it? I think you kill the murder of the woodchuck. Right? <laughs> I thought you were going to answer that one, too. Yeah, come on. You got to understand if there's like this, if there's something like if that was in a book, we're talking 50 years into the future, that would end up becoming a banned book, right? I mean, they're right. banning <laughs> Dr. Seuss for God's sakes, right? I mean, you got you got people editing guns and cigarettes out of movies for God's sakes. Uh, you, you got stations that are afraid to even show old movies. You know, you know what really is so fantastic though? While that's all going on. I was, um, I just finally uh, subscribed to HBO Max, right? Because everybody keeps raving about this couple particular series, um, Succession, haven't seen any of it. Um, Last Among Us, just started watching that. And if I was to buy them through Amazon Prime, I would literally spend like three years of worth what it has costing a subscription to HBO Max. So might as well just subscribe to HBO Max. You know what I find just amazing is they have all the seasons of South Park on there. <laughs> Interesting. I can see that. Though. I can see you getting right? it. And and, I, and, I'm, and I'm just looking at this, whatever, like season 23. Yeah. And I'm watching these episodes and they are so hilarious. <laughs> and they're so on the money and on yeah. the mark. Right. I mean, it's just it's so biting, so scathing. There is no taboo that is not crossed and then jumped and done cartwheels over crossing that taboo. How the hell they have managed to stay on the air blows me away. God bless. I'm glad it's there because it's so refreshing. So I caught up on this season and I decided, you know what? I'm going to go back and watch every single episode starting at episode one for the past 22 seasons. And, and I got to tell you, there's some real gems in there. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, you go back and watch some of that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Kill the woodchuck in real life. Kill it from the book. All right. The woodchuck is gone. All right. This next one is the tobacco related question. Um, you are going to get to select four, uh, four tobaccos to put on a tobacco Mount Rushmore. These are tobaccos that you either have worked with or want to work with. What are those four tobaccos that are going to go on? You're on Mount Rushmore. Well, look, you have to give it, I guess. No, you don't. All right. Time <laughs> so obviously, for me, Connecticut Broadleaf is king. Yeah. So that, that's got to take the George Washington slot. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> it just has to. He's mapping it to the presidents, you know? <laughs> The problem is I only know two of the presidents on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> nah, you know more. I bet you know I'll more. Tell you, we'll, we'll yeah, tell you the other Thomas one. Thomas Jefferson's there, so yeah, yeah. I'm safe. And then, oh, yeah. 
It's Ulysses S. Grant. No. No? Uh-oh, I'm screwed. No, it's Roosevelt and Lincoln. Roosevelt. Yeah. Why yeah. didn't I think of Roosevelt? Of course. Yeah. Mount Rushmore. He's the whole reason. <laughs> <there. laughs> It's Teddy Roosevelt. Crazy's going to put himself on. <laughs> oh, my God. So, anyways, um, so Connecticut Broadleaf definitely gets gets yep. up there. I, not surprised. Um, it's got to be, you know, Cuban seed, you know, rapper. I mean, okay. Just, yeah, there's just right. Uh, look, so, so much of our industry stems from Cuban seed, you know, rapper. There's just, there's no way to avoid it. And, as a byproduct of that, one of my, I guess this will be the Roosevelt selection. It would be Cuban seed filler, actually. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's such a key component. There, there's no blend that's worth smoking that I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> um, I'm sure there is, but I'm not aware of one. This is your Mount Rushmore. <laughs> and the ones that I'm aware of suck. Right. Um, almost all really good cigar blends have some sort of Cuban seed tripa in, in the mix. So right. it's got to be on Mount Rushmore. Okay. And and then, you know, then it gets a little bit more dicey. Where do you go from there? And as much as I think people would be surprised to hear me say this, I, I think it's Connecticut Shade. Well, okay. I mean, Connecticut Shade right. is, I mean, 50% of the consumers to this day, that's still their cigar of choice. I mean, you add all the other wrapper varieties together and half the cigars smoked in America are Connecticut shade. Now, granted, most of them today are grown in other places like Ecuador. You know, now you have people growing it in Nicaragua and you have people in Honduras growing it too. But I mean, most of it still comes from Ecuador. Um, it's just, uh, it really kind of changes the, you know, it kind of gave us a real clear dividing line for good or bad. Light cigars are milder and dark cigars are stronger, right? So it's really the other half. It's the it's the yin to the yang of the Maduros, which I put broadleaf up there, but somebody could argue it's another one, but they're wrong. Um, so, yeah. So th those would be my four. I'm okay. Gonna... Good job. Good job. That's a good job. All right. Next question. Wait, 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 wait. Who do you think should be up there? Is there someone you knock out? Who would you kill? I might keep one of the Cuban seeds. Take off my Mount Rushmore. I would probably just say Cuban seed, like filler. Okay. And then I would probably put a Cameroon on there because I like Cameroon. I love Cameroon, but it's so insignificant market wise. And it's become even less significant as the years go on. I mean, I mean you get, I mean, you have, there are people that love Cameroon Rabbit. I right. like it. So uh, it's not a knock, but nah. I, I feel you're saying. But it's your Mount Rushmore, so you can do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. Yep. But you didn't give George Washington Cameroon, did you? <laughs> no, I'll, okay. I'll keep Jefferson as a Cuban seed because, you know, it innovated <laughs> into all these things. And I'll, I'll go to Cameroon as, as Teddy Roosevelt because he'd probably take an expedition to Cameroon to go get it. Yeah, that part's true. Yeah. What about you, Aaron? You have something we should swap out there? No, I think you, you're pretty good. I don't think I'd... Uh... Let make any changes to it. Well, thank you. Yeah. See, that's democracy. <laughs> <laughs> it's your Mount Rushmore. No, it's a good one. It's a very good one, actually. Yeah. All right. Here's in there. This question is: All right, the New England Patriots have won the Super Bowl in this scenario. I'm going to stick with football because I know you're a Patriots guy, and yeah. you have an opportunity 
to provide the Patriots a, a cigar smoke in the locker room. That's, what are you sending over there to do that? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, so you got to figure out a lot of those guys don't smoke cigars on the rag, right? right. So you know they're going to want a big cigar, right? You got to mm -hmm. have a big cigar. You're celebrating the Super Bowl. Right. Um, I think I'd send them like Sober Mesa Brulee Double Coronas. Okay. Sin Compromiso Number 7s. My Sin Compromiso Number 7s. Okay. I, I think that would be, I mean, it's a big, it's a big cigar. It's yep. right dead medium, right? right. So it's, a, it's on the milder side. I, I think that would work. I mean, yeah. You know, I always wonder how companies get, I wonder if they just get lucky when this happens or whether they're being proactive about it. I think they'd be quite proactive about it. Some yeah. some have gotten lucky, I've been told, but some I know are proactive. About it. Yeah. Like, I think I remember when, when the Lakers won the NBA title, Drew Estate got cigars to, because the, they had it in the bubble. Right, and it was in Orlando, and they got they got the cigars there somehow. I don't remember. I don't remember. Was it an Undercrown? I don't remember which one it was now. But they think they sent someone up there. I don't think an Undercrown's a really good celebratory cigar. I mean, Undercrown. I, I don't remember which one it was though. I'm not sure. I like that. <laughs> I'm not sure. I like the brand confluence there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I know like when the Padrones got it Kraft got his hands on that humidor some one of those humidors somehow from padrone i don't know how he got it i don't remember how he got it but yeah, he had it i think he had it for a while and then he just he brought it into the locker room oh look it's perfectly great cigar to celebrate with i can't yeah anyone for celebrate with one of those cigars i gave it yeah there was like when when the Cavaliers won the NBA title, there was a brand called Yaxel Ortiz, which was like popular in Ohio. It's a right. very small brand, and somehow uh, LeBron James got his hands on those cigars. Um, I don't know if it was something he smoked or whatever, but they had those cigars uh, when they won the title. And I had reviewed that cigar, and all of a sudden, I had all these hits for it because people recognized the YO on the cigar. You know. So. Look, for the people, I don't even know, there's what, maybe 30 people watching us this late at night, right? More. So, we have more. Yeah, we have more. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're not going to be swayed by that. Uh, you're basically, well, I think they're more swayed. This is what I see happening with the. I think the more average consumer, that sort of celebrity pop yeah. thing, I think it has a lot more weight. Um, I think that when you get into the hardcore enthusiasts, you know, nerdy kind of guys like we are. I think we just kind of look at it like, eh, you know, I'll smoke it. I'll see what it's about. But right, it doesn't hold any meaning yeah. if there's this tie-in, however yeah. it may be. Yeah. But for the average guy, he sees the Patriots celebrating with a Padron. Well, guess what? I want to celebrate with a Padron too, right? <laughs> I think the people who watch this show, they're more interested when the cigar is lit up, they immediately want to know what it is. I think that's what they tend tends to be the question. They try to look and see, well, what are they smoking? You know, right. Um, and then I know like another example is when the Astros won the World Series. Um, the guy Oscar Valadares has a PR guy who also does PR for the Astros. So those cigars they were able to get get on the field very quickly. And a lot of times that's what it has to do. Yeah. Is, yeah. is there someone in the office that you know? Yeah. 
and then they use it to call in a favor. Yeah, yeah. It makes them look good. Yeah. It's a great place. I mean, hell, I mean, I I don't know what brand Joe Burrow smokes, but I got to tell you, so when some company locks into him, they're, they're going to have a hell of a spokesperson, you know, just by product. Yeah, I know he had some little floors and they were trying to get him to the factory. I don't think that ever worked out, but I believe he had some. I remember the Cubs got cigars from Hanky Kellner. Yeah. I think once, um, because they were down at the Davidoff factory or something like that. So it is. It, like I, said, I think we're more interested. People probably watch this show. Of, it's not necessarily going to influence that they're going to smoke it, but they're, they're more they're curious. What are they smoking? smoking. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm always curious. I, yeah. I zoom in. I'm trying to figure out what the hell that guy's smoking. Yeah. Then yeah. when I figure out what it is, I'm like, fuck, that guy could smoke a lot better cigar than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, they don't know. Most of them have no idea. So it's whoever yeah, puts a cigar so in their hand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Again, most of those guys, it's the one cigar they might, you know, one yeah. of five cigars they might smoke in a year. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't give a fuck. They're just there enjoying themselves. Right. Yeah. You just want a ring, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this next question is related to ice fishing. Would you rather ice fish in normal Alaska or Antarctica? Ooh. It's a tough one. I'll tell you why. First off, from just a sheer, you know, experience, Antarctica. Hands down. Gotta be Antarctica. (laughs) But I, I know a lot of people, you know, remotely over the years in Alaska so I kind of have that little bit of, hey, I'd actually like to go see these people on, yeah. in their home turf. Um, right. There's a little bit of an emotional pull. And it's not like Alaska is, you know, crappy, right? Yeah. Yep. Gorgeous, right? So I probably would end up choosing Alaska because of that. But Antarctica is the right answer. I mean, come yeah. on. But no, it's, 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 it's like I, I we were looking at taking the Antarctica trip, but it's like, it starts at like $12,000. It's really expensive to go. Yeah. So it's like, uh, ain't gonna it's happen. It's gotta be a small ship, right? I mean, it's limited cabinet cabins, limited passengers. They can't, they can't oper- operate on the carnival cruise model. <laughs> they so have cruise ships that go there, but they're smaller. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it, and it's cruise ships out of Argentina is what they are. Um, so. Oh yeah. Cause we're going to do it yeah. from Miami. Yeah. yeah. God, dude, yeah. you're gonna feel like Christopher Columbus on that journey. I mean. All right. So the next thing is this is related to a snack food called Cracker Jack, and you may have heard yes. a little controversy with that. Yeah, going on. I don't know what the controversy is, but I know there was one. Yeah, uh, yeah Abe Abe threw a, a fit that Cracker Jacks was in Dojo's tournament. Oh, um, and oh, that nobody... was the worst sin. Come on, fucking weed yeah. bits, for God's sake. Ritz, Ritz crackers. Ritz crackers. I get yeah. on that. I mean, it's how... just a carrier for other things. Yeah. I, did not, I did not understand how Doritos aren't on there, how combos aren't on there, how, you know, how, how the hell can you not have bunions? I mean, you're going to have wheat thins. Bunions doesn't make <laughs> that guilty sin snack food anywhere. And, and the truth is, uh, you got to have beef jerky, at least yeah. as a category. They had it. That's what ended up winning, actually. Well, they should win. I mean, come on. Slushy. Except, except one of the panelists makes beef jerky seeds, for a living. Either. <laughs> Sunflower seeds are like the classic, right? Yeah. You're on these long road trips. Yeah. You want to you burn your mouth out with salt rot. I mean. <laughs> but here's my question on Cracker Jack, Steve. Do you like them? Yeah, I like them. I, I like the what is the I like the fiddle foul or whatever that one better. <laughs> Crunching much? 
Crunch and Munch. Thank you. Yep. Yep. There's a film battle, though, too. Poppycock. Those are all yeah. kind of yeah. Yeah. That lets us stop. Almost every caramel corn made is better than Cracker Jacks at this point. I mean, it's really like the lowest grade of the lowest grade. <laughs> and, and, and even the toys have gotten so shitty. The box surprise is just, it's just disappointment. In they're a virtual. Box. They're virtual now. Are like they? You scan a code and it takes you to a game online or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you don't so even get, you don't worse get than I was, well, maybe that's better than what it was. <laughs> it used to be like these, uh, those, those like tattoos, which, you know, wouldn't yeah. even tattoo. Yeah, but when I started, you used to actually get like little yeah, and little cars. I mean, right. yeah. Just progressively, as the years went on, it got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Yeah. I got the cool, the, yeah. Just, right, it, it just they became so pathetic. Yeah. So probably them going with the QR model and giving kids some games probably probably more valuable than yeah. shitty thing they're gonna get on a Cracker Jack box. <laughs> All right. And the last question before we got one more break. I will have another comment though. Cracker Jacks can be vastly improved if they just add a few more damn peanuts to that box. Yes. Don't be yeah, so chintzy with the peanuts. That, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't get to the peanuts until you get to the bottom of the bag. They of the tend box. To, anyway. There's like six. Yeah. Yeah. Come <laughs> on. yeah. The peanuts are the key. Cheap bastards. Put a few more peanuts in the box. What's right. it really going to cost you? <laughs> All right. Here's the last question. And this is sort of music related, but you, you may not know the songs, but the titles are what I'm looking here at. So Tina Turner just passed away. I don't know how much you know about Tina Turner, but um, you have an basically you have a docudrama and there's a soundtrack for your docudrama. Oh, and you could pick one of these three Tina Turner songs. Now, you may not know the songs, but the titles really, I think, what I'm looking at here more. So she has three songs. One is called Better Be Good to Me. One is called we don't need another hero. And the third is called Simply the Best. Which one of those songs do you pick for your docudrama soundtrack? I'm so set up for failure on this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to Simply the Best. Come on. Yeah, I bet. He makes me look like a total asshole. <laughs> Give me the other two again. Give me the other two. Better, Better be, be good to me. To me. We don't need another hero. Don't need another hero. All right, I'm going to go with Don't Eat Another Hero. I'm still working on what my bullshit answer is to why right now. Yeah. I really don't quite have one. No, it's, it's a little more humble of a up. title. I'll just be the asshole. It's simply the best. I, I think that's fine. It's not <laughs> I'm just going to live with the shame. No, go. it's all good. It's all good. All right. So I got to do one more uh, commercial re-break, and then we will get into the, the final ones. We'll, get some, we'll hit back with some of the industry talk we've been hitting. So... Uh, first, I want to mention J.C. Newman Cigar Company, founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman. J.C. Newman Cigar Company is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America. For four generations and 127 years, J.C. Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. J.C. Newman is headquartered in an iconic 113-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District of Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as El Rahol, J.C. Newman was premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines, including the all-American cigar, the American. The J.C. Newman Pencil Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua. It's where Brickhouse, Perla de Mar, El Baton, Quorum, and Yago cigars are hand-rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond cigars are handmade by Tabacalera A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newmans founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic with education, health care, vocational training, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. 
And when I mentioned Casa Cuevas cigars, the Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars for many industry leaders out of their Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. The Cuevas family has now brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas cigars. Try their latest release, the Sangre Nueva. And of course, you can uh, smoke their Casa Cuevas branded and Cuevas Reserver lines. If they don't carry it, be sure to ask your retailer for Casa Cuevas cigars. Casa Cuevas cigars from our Casa to yours. And we want to mention Drew Estate. Uh, dark, bold, and unapologetic. Black and Scars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, and darkest, heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. It's a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Sicilian's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The all-Maduro Black and Scars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your Drew Diplomat retailer. And of course, remember all the live streaming for the primetime shows is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate, as well as the California studios for the Thursday show. All right, Steve, we, we touched on this earlier. The trade show. So you are in favor of the move to the spring. Absolutely. I've been in favor of that since I went to my first trade show. So we've had, I'll be honest, we've had mixed reaction from manufacturers on this. Some have said they favor it. Some have said, uh, no, I think this is the strongest statement I've heard from anyone saying, absolutely, like I, I want this in, in the spring. And I can say one of the reasons why they may be really opposed to it is I mean, for a lot of companies that go to trade show and then they're drop shipping product, you know, as literally the customer's placing the order and that order is going back to the office being processed that day, mm -hmm. right? So for whatever core product they're ordering, it's like a really big cash infusion. And the retailers are definitely more flush with cash in July than they're going to be when we do the trade show at the tail end of March. Uh, the retailers are not going to be flush with cash and they're probably not going to buy as much of that core in a big lump sum. And, but for the I, concept of releasing things, it makes a lot more sense because you'll be introducing something new and it will end up hitting the retailer shelves sometime there in the spring, if not the spring, the early summer, and then it'll have a whole season to see how it does versus what's currently happening. September, October, November drops of the things that the retailers ordered in July going right into the winter. And it's the winter, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter. However hot you may be, sales are slower over that course of time. So I think from a product release point of view, it's better. From a, hey, get as much cash grab immediately as you can. I think it's gonna be rougher so I think it really depends on how you as a company operate. Um, for a lot of companies, the trade shows are a very big part of their sales. They do pretty aggressive discounting and deal packages, you know, that incentivize the retailers to spend a lot. Um, you know, we as a company don't, right? Uh, there's no reason we go to, the, you can buy the cigars in July, in June, you can get them for the same price, you're going to get them in July. You know what I mean? So we don't get that kind of core purchase. We do well, but it's not the same, right? As when you're offering the deal, the the dealer, something, the retailer, something really, really juicy. So for me, from a cash flow perspective, and because of how we operate our business, it's fine. It doesn't mean that I'm doing it better. It just means it's a different model. For other people with the alternative model, 
I can see why they wouldn't like the change. I mean, I, I can appreciate that. But I've always, I've always felt as a cigar enthusiast, I, I like the spring launch much, much better. I think it's a good time. And I think it's better too. I think for the retailers, it's better for the perspective of maybe they'll be more judicious with their cash spends because a lot of retailers get a little punch drunk at the trade show and they buy a lot of shit they just shouldn't be buying, right? They they kind of fall into the deal trap that really, I mean, and this is what I always tell young retailers is ignore all the deals. Don't do them. They're not to your benefit. You know what? Bring brands in, see how they do. And then when you know how many turns, how many repeat sales you get on that product, it then becomes just a simple math equation. Is it worth it for me to spend an extra X thousands and thousands of dollars to get this discount, right? Okay, that's going to tie up my money for four or five months. But for me, it's actually worth it because I know the price is going to sell. And, and that's the way if you're a smart retailer, you should look at all deals. You, should, you shouldn't be taking deals because when you go to a trade show and these companies are offering these giant deals on products that haven't even been released yet, you have no idea that's going to be a winner or a loser, right? Right. So why gamble, man? Just buy what you got to buy. You know what I mean? And when you figure out what works for you, you know that, hell, I'm a big La Florida Minicana shop and my customers eat everything up this La Florida Minicana. And you know that. Then you can go, okay, I can stretch to buy La Florida Minicana, right? That makes sense to me. Um, but that's the only logical way to approach deals. Deals are only good if you could actually sell the cigars. You know, it's, it's in do, the end. Do you think there'll be more people at the trade show or more spending or both? Well, I think it'll be less spending because of the time of year in March. Right. I think there'll be more people, though. Okay. Because, look, Vegas is glorious in March. In fact, I would argue that it's one of the two best months of the year. It's still cold at night, though, is what I'll tell you. And that could affect some of the um, outdoor stuff. Uh, in the March, not so bad. I mean, it's it's not it's not like, look, we had a real bad cold snap at the TPE, right? Right. It was exceptionally cold. The year before was quite nice. Um, March, you have much more chance of quite nice uh, than, than, than early in the year. So I, I think it's a good time to visit Vegas. I, I really do. And uh, so I, I think that may... I think that might bring more people. And I'm also, I know the numbers don't show this, and maybe it's because of the type of retailers that we deal with. But for, for me, it feels like the show is growing again. I, I, I think, I think it's growing. That. But I think this year they're going to, I think now you're going to start to see a lot higher expectations from PCA to deliver on the trade show. I really do. Because now, now, you know, they got a break for various reasons and they've done a good job at, I think, you know, getting getting back on track. But now I think the expectation is going to go much higher, especially with this trade show, and especially next year more. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, I think that, look, you're always looking for improvement of, of everything, right? You yep. know, the better year over year. I think things have been getting better year over year in the last couple of years. I, I agree with I think I agree with you on that. Yeah, I, I think that, I think part of it is, though, us also convincing retailers that it's important to come to the trade show. But I think that's always been also the other really big flaw with the trade show is it's always been very focused on discounts and deals. And you don't need to go to the trade show to get a discount or a deal. It's actually, it's actually more economical for me as a manufacturer 
for you not to waste my time at the trade show to write that order. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the show should always have been about getting together as an industry, uh, more education, blah, blah, blah. Look, we could have a sales component, but I, I'm not opposed to it. But honestly, if I had to choose between just us getting together as an industry for three days a year and we all had really scaled down boosts and we didn't sell anything, I'd be game with that. I'd be okay with it. I mean, but again, that's working in my business model, right? Yeah, yeah. That isn't fair for me to say that about the other associate members. Right. Um, so, but I mean, for me, and, and, I, and as we see this new generation, we're starting to see, we're starting to see a real transition from the old guard tobacconists into these newer, younger entrepreneurs. And they're just much more adept at working in this market and climate. They have a much better comprehension of what their customers want than the previous generation. Um, and I'm not saying this about all the previous generation. Look, I guess I'm part of the previous generation too, right? I'm, I'm old. Um, but it's much more customer oriented. It's much more customer service. It's much more environmental. It's much more building a community. And it doesn't have to be an online community, but it has to be a community. I mean... It's, it's a much different game than, oh, we have really great cigars and here they are at good prices and we give you a place to, you know, smoke it. The successful shops do way, way more than that, right? They really engage with their customers. Their customers do business with them, not because of the price of the cigar. They do business with them because they like the retailer. They like everything else they provide. I mean, a perfect example of one is like the vault in Idaho. In Meridian, I think Idaho has a 38% wholesale tax, right? It's one of the higher tax states. I mean, customers that go into that store, they know they're paying more. They know they could just go online and click and get it delivered to their door. And they may be doing some of that, but they buy enough locally because they love what the vault is about. They love the customer service. They love the one-on-one. -on -one. They love the recommendations that are actually driven by them knowing what you like to smoke. They're actually tobacconists. And I, I and, and, and you are seeing this with the younger entrepreneurs and you're not really seeing it with the older entrepreneurs. And as a and you see this sea change. You see where the brick and mortar business is shifting to. And oddly enough, these people are the ones that want to come to the trade show. I mean, look, one of the things I find really disappointing about the PCA trade show, and I mean, you guys can figure out the name, but the person that was the president of the PCA for the two previous years, once she was no longer president, hasn't come back to the trade show. Uh, interesting. I mean, I find that really disappointing. Yeah. I mean, they want us to participate. Well, I at least expect people that are on the board to participate. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. And not when they get off the board, but before they were on the board, when they're on the board and after they're on the board. And, and I mean, and, and that's the thing. Um, so there's been a real transition in who the big brick and mortar shops are becoming. And I think that these retailers are actually interested in a trade show. They like that face-to-face -face experience. They like that engagement. 
because in order for their shops to be successful, they have to practice engagement. That's what they do. That's who they are. So I think the trade show, I, I hope the future is bright. That's good. No, I think so, too. Now, you you the last few years have gone to TPE. Does yes. that change your T? I think I know the answer to this. Does that change your TPE plans? I think yeah, I heard we're, you. We're not going to we're not going to attend TPE next year. It's too close. It's only yep. about what six weeks apart, yep. I think. Yep. Um, and it's not it's not the fault of the TPE, but for us, you have to understand uh, we're not exactly a really good TPE uh, company. Right. I mean, there are a lot of people there that buy cigars, but they're looking for like super well known brand names, or they're looking for something that can get out the door for four dollars retail or below. I mean, you gotta understand these are gas stations and head shops and convenience stores. Right. You know, nobody, nobody ever goes into, you know, a head shop and say, hey, do you have the new uh, Mike Rita Papa Saka? That's not ever going to come out of anyone's mouth, right? They're there because, oh, I know what Romeo is. I know what Monte Cristo is. Oh, these are $3.80. I'll take, you know what I mean? Yep. So the TP buyer is that buyer. And there's a lot of companies that have a lot of products that work for those buyers. Yep. Dunbarton just doesn't happen to be one of them. We have a name that no consumer knows. And we have cigars that are just way beyond the price point of what they would ever stock. So the only people that we do business with at TPE is the brick and mortar retailers. They go, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to Vegas at the end of January, early February, get out of the cold weather. So for us, for the money we spent on TPE, it worked. Okay. But we had a very limited customer base to sell to at TPE. I have to think with the trade show now just being six weeks later in March, those retailers are not going to go to both the TPE and then the PCA. And if those retailers had to choose, in my opinion, between the two, for what their business is, going to PCA makes more sense than going to TPE. Uh, I could be wrong. You know, we'll see. I mean, and, and I'm not opposed to showing a TPE again in the future. And maybe someday if the company develops to where it has a, a product mix that makes sense, then that would be helpful. But right now with our product mix and the proximity of the show and believing that my retailers aren't going to attend a show in February to then attend another show in March. Yeah. I, I, I think that for me, PCA is the right way to go. And I don't think they move TPE, Steve, because well, I think or should they? Yeah. I think there's business I, that other, the non-traditional stuff, Still, I think wants that show at the beginning of the year, and I think that's where it's still a lot of the money in that guess show. What? That's where that's like eighty percent. Yeah, that's not eighty percent of the customers. It's ninety-seven yep. percent of the customers, right? I mean, so yeah, no, I they've done a great job with that show, yep. and I think the inclusion of handmade cigars is fantastic, and I think there's a market for it. I just don't think for Dunbarton it makes sense, but I think there's other companies that I, I wouldn't recommend they pull out a TP. I, I think that. I, I would attend both. Yep. Just the same way as a lot of those country, companies, they, they attend a lot of trade shows you don't see. You know, the yeah. convenience store show and, you know, all these other things. So, yeah, no. But I think the key is always to just always look at the ROI on it. So that's one of the things that TP kind of let manufacturers do. It let them scale back and not anyone look at them and say, oh, this company's failing. Whereas with the trade show that we've had i mean it got to just such an absurd peacock phase 
that it was crippling in cost for those companies. And they didn't feel as though they could shrink their footprint and be more reasonable about what the show should have because they were afraid one of their big three other competitors wouldn't. And then they would just end up looking like they're the company that's on the downhill slide. So they kind of got themselves caught in this weird position by having these, you know, just absurd monuments. Made sense when there's 2,000 retailers coming to the trade show. Does not make sense when there's less than 600 retailers coming to the trade show. It just doesn't. So TP let them reset that, you know what I mean? And put it more in scale. And look, and as these companies come back to the to PCA, which they all are going to come back. I mean, the only one that hasn't made an outright like declaration is Davidoff at this point. Right. right? So um, I think they're going to come back more reasonable. I hope they do. Because in the end, even if the trade show grows, maybe two years from now, we have 750 retailers attending. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. things go like amazing um so i think that i think that this will give them an opportunity I, but i don't know what they're going to do who the hell knows they they, you know, they they may build something bigger and better than they've ever had before for their triumphant return i, I have no clue <laughs> um so are you happy about the big the some of these big four companies coming back oh no they should be there yeah no, they, they okay. should come okay they've always should come they should have never left it was a right I mean, I understand there was more than just the cost, but in the end, these these FDA regulatory battles and lawsuits, they're going to go on for a very, very long time. Right. I, 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 I don't, I don't, but it got a little sticky because you, you know, their dollars are going to lobbyists that are lobbying against the interest of your own company right. for a segment of your business. So I can understand the issue. Luckily, because the way the court decisions have come down so far, it kind of takes that tension out of the air. You know what I mean? Because, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. this issue has been primarily decided, so we don't have to fight you anymore. You can now go fight your battle for flavors and mass market and all the other things, and we don't have to dump on you to protect the handmade side anymore. You know, so I, I think taking that part out of the the equation makes a big difference, right? It makes it much easier. Yep. And uh, because look, the battle's not over. I mean, sadly that we're now on this regulatory radar, we're going to be there indefinitely until eventually they completely ban us and they take us out behind the barn and shoot us all because we're evil, evil people. But I mean, I mean that, that, that is what eventually will ultimately happen. Maybe not quite as literal, but that will be the way it goes. So, I mean, you still, you really need those lobbying dollars. You really need that money that the PCA earns. Yeah, it, it really is. It is quite critical to the industry, and I and I get the feeling again these younger entrepreneurs are not as they're not as cavalier about it as some of the old school was. So the PCA has expanded their board in the last couple of years. Would you ever consider running for a board seat? Um, no, I think that for the associate members, there's only like two of them. Uh, maybe two, maybe there's four. I don't know. I think there's four now. But one of them's accessory, right? Right, and is one of them pipe or not pipe? I don't. I not don't, pipe. Okay, but it's a position you get invited to, right? No, I don't. I don't even. I don't even know that you. I, I've never heard of a place I can submit my name to put my hat in the running. Okay. Um. 
if you were tapped on the shoulder, would you would you consider it? Yeah, look, I, I love our industry. I love our business. I I would definitely consider it. Um, I don't know how I would fare. I mean, I'm kind of an opinionated guy. And uh, so I don't know. Look, there have been a lot of people that are similar to my personality that have been in these boards. And they pretty much end up at the end just so thankful that they're off them. Um, so I don't know if I'm... I don't know if I'm good board material. I mean, I'll definitely give them stuff to think about, but I don't know. But yeah, I I, I wouldn't say no. Okay. That's all I said. I was kind of curious. That's all, because I've seen some people run for board seats and stuff. Um, so I'm just I didn't kinda... know it's something you ran for. Yeah, now they do an election. Uh, oh, but I think that's, but you have to be a retailer for PCA. You have to, you have, no. You, yeah, yeah no, I don't think you can be a manufacturer. I think the no, associate members. Are no, not, you, you, they were able to vote on the manufacturers because Herklotz and uh, Jared Trudeau won those seats in a, in a vote. Okay. Yep. So that just started like last year. All right. Yep. Uh, and then like so Alan Rubin had a spot. Yeah, yeah. Alan Rubin had a spot, but then it was vacated after the sale. So right. I think it went to Arango after that. Yep. All right. I got a few more random questions for you, Steve. And here's one I wanted to, we were talking about like soccer con, you know, um, and we talked about limits, but there was another soccer con before me, Carita black. Am I, I'm not wrong on that. Right. There was another soccer con that existed at one point. Um, let me see something. I thought it was a blue. No, it was not that. There's only one thing it could have been. And why am I, what am I doing right now? I had a brilliant idea, but I've now forgotten what it was. <laughs> I was wondering if it was part of, ah, now I remember. Was it part of the original Muestra de Saka list? And I don't even know where I'm in that because. I thought it was a famous cigar or a CI cigar. No, 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 no. Okay. That that's definitely not the case. Okay. But I, what I'm thinking though is I may have put that as a front mark name in Muestra de Saka. Okay. Ported some because of the FDA. Okay. Remember at that point we thought if we didn't have it in the country, a certain size, a certain right. and okay. So I that that's what it would have been. There's still some of that odd pre-FDA nonsense floating out there. I uh, Every once in a while, I'll see a customer get a box of Totos Las Dias. That's one of those odd boxes. The, uh, with the other bands, with the uh, blue, with the, the bluish bands. They had just, no, they had bands that were, were printed on a laser printer. Right? Oh, okay. Bands, we weren't sure if the bands were going to come, and we had two different blends. So we imported one with the laser printed bands, uh, we then imported another one that was a, uh, which turned out to be the the right blend, but with no bands. And then we imported, we ended up getting the bands in time. So then we rushed another set in. So there's like Totos Las Dias Gordos out there, six by 60, right? That I never released except in that mad dash to try to every brand, every name, every size you could possibly think that you might ever make nonsense. And you, and you know, yeah, and basically on all those, we brought like four boxes of each into the country. 
And then what we did is at the 2000, what was that 2008 trade show? Yeah. We basically gave those cigars to the retailers for free. We said, hey, you buy so much, you're going to get some of these pre-FDA things, but you're going to get whatever we give you, right? Because we don't even know what it all is, but it's going to be free. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, because, uh, and of course, it didn't show up as free because you had to get it on the invoice. And then they just got an overall discount that essentially made it free, depending on how you looked at the discount amount, right? So, so there's a lot of that weird kind of stuff out there that every once in a while surfaces. Got it. Now, we, we talked a lot about limiteds, but you have a, a, a big portfolio of what I would call ongoing production, regular production. At what point do you hit the max with this? And like, there's got to be a point where it's going to be, you're going to have too many of these. And yeah, what do you I'm, do with that? So I'm, I think I'm there now. So like, I have like three obligations. I have a four. I have an obligation to tobaccoology. Um, so I need to honor that. I have an obligation to cigar shenanigans. I need to I need to do that one too. And I have one to Harrisburg beer and cigars. So these are three commitments that were made long ago that I still need to honor. Right. Uh, the first one's going to be the tobaccoology um, late this fall. We're going to have uh, it's called the Halligan. Um, okay. It's going to be at his shop. And then I have a fourth one, which kind of is and kind of isn't. It's the FSG project for uh, Jeff Borshowitz at Corona Cigar. And so, I mean, we're going on to our, heck, I'm trying to remember, bought that tobacco like almost three years ago at this point. So, I mean, this, this project's been percolating for a very long time. Right. I need to bring it to a head. Luckily for me, the cigar blend is done. We're 100% there. Um, really, we're right now just trying to figure out how the heck to package the damn thing it goes back to my box conversation packaging such a pain in the ass but i mean so i mean but that that's part of it um you also one thing you did last year and i think it's something you said you're going to do again this year the archive series how's that worked out for you kind of using well, the that first concept. archive series was really really good i may not do i'm going to do another one but i don't think i'm going to do it in january um I just, I just have too much crowded schedule. Um, I don't, again, you gotta remember the trade show is going to be in March. Right. So I, I haven't decided whether I'm going to take an archive this year or not. Um, I'm a little up in the air on that one. I, I already know which one I'm going to probably do next. If I do it, I'll probably do the Mike Rita Pequeno Pequeno. Oh, nice. I really, I love that cigar. It, it always hurts to stop selling a skew that's actually selling. Right. But as the Mike Rita brand has grown, um, retailers can only give so much shelf space. And now that you have, you know, blue, red, and black. Right. I had to kind of make a choice whether I want to keep Pequeno, Pequeno, or Gordita in the blue. I didn't. Don't need, get rid of Gordita. Didn't oh. need two small formats. I love that. Yeah. Look, Gorditas all sell Pequeno, Pequeno's four to yeah. one. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the Bacchino Bacchino is just a great little cigar. So that'll probably be the next archive. I just don't know whether I'm going to... Just a business decision right now. Sure. Whether, whether it makes yeah. sense or yeah. not. Maybe, and maybe that'll be better to push a little later. I, I don't know. I mean... But yeah, I have those obligations on the books. And yeah. it also goes back to the fact that the other ones just never seem to die. So... 
I end up keep I keep making more Dundurma and I keep making more U-boat and I keep making more pretty much more of everything. So and that's a good thing. I'm not yep. about it, but yep. it also limits you. You know, because you also don't want to you don't want to you don't want to you're trying not to overlap these retailers on these releases. You know, you, you try, but certain things this year's just just too condensed. It's it's going to be a messy one. Yeah. All right. I got two more questions for you, Steve. First one is the we've it's been well documented this this astronomical price increase in Habanos. Um, two things. What are your thoughts on that? And does this open the door for you in markets like in Europe now to kind of make a play? So, and will you take a play there? So I, I think the price increase was very foolish on their part. Uh-huh. I think this resetting the Hong Kong prices was a mistake. I think that it's a very short-sighted play. I, I even more than the price increase, those retailers could have absorbed the 30s. And look, the Cohiba prices got extra stupid, right? But it was about a 30%, 30 to 35%. I think a few items, 38%. It was a heavy increase, don't get me wrong. But it, it wasn't the re- increase that you saw in Cohiba Robustos and Mahikis. Um, I think those retailers could have absorbed some of that, but they took all the distribution away from them. So not only did they like dramatically raise the price, but they also didn't even give them the option of buying them at this right. point. So I think what they've done is I think Habanos unwittingly has set up a scenario where you now have who your biggest supporters of Cuban cigars being the best in the world to now motherfucking you every single moment of the day, right? And talking about how shitty Cuban cigars are and how, you know, blah, 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 Nicaraguans are where it's at. Blah. What choice do they have? Because they have no cigars in their stores to sell because they can't even buy the bottles at the higher prices. Right. But you see an explosion. We had already been seeing it, us ingressing into that market over the years of, you know, really growing as an industry our new world, just to make our lives simple, use the term cigars into those international markets. We, we got to the point where we had already kind of occupied 30% of it. Well, guess what? We're going to own 90% of it now. I mean, because they've really left no option right, right. outside of Asia right. to get any Habanos of any merit. So I think you now have totally set up a scenario that is going to make Nicaragua recognized as the location for luxury cigars. Uh, it's going to be another 30, 40, 50 years. Look, the Cubans have had a huge advantage for a long time. But I think just looking at the quality of the product that we're getting, we've all been smoking it, and understanding how people's minds are willing to be changed, understanding that the new consumers follow social media, they get their cigar news from you guys, Okay, they want to try all the brands you guys are sampling, right? Habanos, what? They throw you five regionals a year and tell you have to be a billionaire to even get a box and you have to like (laughs) sex shows with donkeys. (laughs) I mean, really, just completely detached from the younger consumer. I'm not talking kids. I'm talking about that, you know, 25, 30, 40 year old guy that's getting into cigars. Uh, provide no love in any way for that person whatsoever. So anything that's new, interesting, sexy has become coming from us. 
It hasn't been coming from Habanos. Uh, and we just on that alone, we've managed to do 30% penetration. But now that you have all those retailers talking about what a douchebag you are and how much your cigar stuck and how, yeah, they used to be, but that's bullshit. Huh. Right. <laughs> I don't know what Habanos was thinking. I, 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 I think this was a huge, colossal mistake on their part. And God bless those communists. I love them, you know, because <laughs> that, that stupidity is it, it, good for their market. But even there, they've created such a cigar boom in Asia. Okay. It's so absurd. The cigar boom that they've created, that little Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust in January and February sold 2,300 boxes of brulee and Sin Compromiso into Hong Kong. Wow. That's Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Nobody knows who the fuck we are. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's insane. Wow. What they've done. So I, I, I think it was a colossal mistake. So I think there's tremendous amount of opportunity worldwide. Sadly, uh, Dunbarton is in a position to capitalize on it in the short term. I wish we were. You know, these, uh, these big companies, they're, they're having a heyday right now. God bless them because there is so much demand. Yeah. So much new customer. It's incredible. Uh, we, I would say since last summer, we've probably had no less than 140 international inquiries. Wow. And of the 140, we've opened two. Because that's all we have the supply to sell to. Because guess what? In Brazil, two years ago, my brand was $50,000 a year in all of Brazil. Uh, they now buy over a half a million dollars in brazil i mean it's it's crazy so the places that i am in it's just going like wildfire and uh and look the u.s market i'm always told everyone internationally that we do business with u.s comes first so they're always kind of second fiddle and they don't get the wide plethora of products that american consumers they have a much smaller portfolio that they can choose from uh, because I can't, I can't, I can't supply what they currently need. I, I wish I was in a better position, right? But regretfully, I'm not. Will I benefit from it? And will we grow dramatically in those markets? We absolutely will. Uh, but yeah, sadly, just five, six, maybe seven years too early for Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust for this opportunity to come up. I get it. I get it. Are you going? Are you going to um, Intertobacco this year? Yeah, I, I, I try to go to Intertobacco every year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember you went right before COVID. Yeah, I went, I went for COVID, but I obviously couldn't go during the two COVID cancellations. Yep. I went last year, and I'm, I'm going to go again this year. Okay. Look, uh, that's a very different trade show. Um, you you don't do business directly with retailers in any of these countries you're doing business with a distributor. So you have to have a distributor in that country. So that's really who you're talking to and meeting with is these individual distributors trying to jockey to bring your product into their country or to replace the current distributor you have with them because they're just so much better. Right. Than the dickhead that you're doing business with. I mean, and 
And really, you don't write a lot of orders at, at Dortmund, in my experience. It's much more a be seen, shake hands, have conversations, discuss business opportunities that you then follow up on. And in typical European fashion, these people are just genuinely slow. So you will right. literally have the same conversation two or three consecutive years before you even begin to actually do some of the business together. It's a, it's a very long-term kind of play. Now, because of the recent situation of Habanos, that's going to be truncated. So those companies that can take advantage of it and have actual a lot of product to ship, they, they really should jump on the bandwagon because for them, it's going to be really, really good. But look, it's, it's a difficult market to navigate. Every country has different laws. Every country has different taxes. Every country has different stickers, tax stamps, yada, 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 regulation. Certain countries you have to apply for uh, almost register your brand in the country and there's license, there's fees on top of that. So it's a, it's a tough market for a little company to navigate. There's a, there's a lot of paperwork that is involved in selling to uh, our international friends. And sadly, all their paperwork is different from place to place. So it's, 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 a real, it's a real challenge to sell into that market. But you'll see, you'll see some of these small boutique brands. I mean, they're basically dead in the water in the United States. But if they focus on one or two territories, two countries, they can actually have a pretty good cigar business. So yeah, like, a couple of them have told us that, actually. Too. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and it makes sense. You, you see certain brands going that direction. Because look, there's a lot of fish in that barrel right now. All right. Last question, Stephen and I. So, you know, there was a fire down at the Fuente Warehouse last week. And I'm not asking a comment specifically on that. But, you know, it always raises these questions. Why do these fires happen? Are they preventable? Yeah, I mean, you've I, been I around actually, these factories. I actually wrote something about this. Um, okay. So first off, you have to understand that you basically have a warehouse of nothing but tinder. I mean, you have bales of tobacco that are tightly packed. It has to be stored dry, okay? So it's pretty bone dry. Right. You have to rehydrate that leaf. But when it's aging the bale, you don't want moisture in there because you would end up with molding. Right. So you basically have these highly compressed bales of an organic material that's on the dry side, that's really thin, and with a lot of little air pockets in that little bale, right, that supply a tremendous amount of oxygen. And on top of it, tobacco dust in itself is highly flammable. So you basically have this built tinderbox, okay? It's at really high risk for fire. It really is. Just the same way as tobacco barns are at high risk for fire, but it's not because of the tobacco, it's because of the construction of the barns, right? Right. These barns are just made out of just this old, old dilapidated barn wood that they've been basically recycling for the last century. Right. Barns. So the barn itself is the problem. But in a tobacco warehouse, the problem is the tobacco. So you have something that's incredibly combustible. So what do you do about that? I mean... You say, oh, well, why don't you have a sprinkler system? Well, guess what? Sprinkler system goes off. You, you lose the tobacco. It's just as ruined as yeah, it would have yeah. been had it been, you know, had it been burned. Right. You know, and then the other thing you do is you have the accidental possibility of the sprinkler system going off. And I mean, I know that doesn't happen today in modern buildings, but 
anyone that was alive in the 60s and 70s knew that sprinkler systems used to go off sometimes when they weren't supposed to go yeah, off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is the level of technology that these third world countries are at. Right. So yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're not having this professional sprinkler right. system installed by an American contractor with, you know, 50 years of codes. Right. So sprinklers are a real risk. So then the other thing you say is, okay, well, what about a chemical suppression system? Well, the problem is that it contaminates the tobacco. Yeah. What, what happens when you use a halon system? Yeah, it extinguishes the fire really quick, but I've now flooded the space with, with halon, which is terrible for you to breathe. And how, <laughs> all the yeah. tobacco is going to be wasted. Yeah. So the water systems don't work and the chemical systems don't work. So the only thing you can do is install a lot of cameras. You can try to make sure the guards pay attention to the cameras. You can install a lot of smoke detectors and heat sensors to try to be alerted early, but it also depends on the guy paying attention to that stuff. Okay. And you can, uh, and you can hire roving patrols, people that have access to go in and out of the building and they do a cycle where they're in the building all the time, walking from warehouse to warehouse. And look, they may not catch it, but eventually they will. And hopefully it's still small enough that you can use a fire extinguisher and put the fire out. But this is really all that we can do. Um, there's no miracle cure to this. I mean, I guess if we built tobacco warehouses that were completely vacuum sealed, we could have some sort of like crazy oxygen extraction system. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's some solution. I've heard about this oxygen extraction, yeah. Well, it, it's not, it's not a, economical. Yeah. And B, Again, you have to understand the countries where these buildings are located. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. they just don't have it. I'm sorry, folks. I mean, they're third world, they are really third world countries. There's a reason why they're called third world <laughs> countries. And so they just they don't have the capacity to have those type of systems. So this is regretfully, this is a very high risk factor for our business. It, it always has been. It's, it's a problem that's not going to go away. Uh, you can start arguing, well, why is it all in the same place? Why don't they spread it out to different buildings, try to limit their risk, not have so much exposure on one thing? You know, that's easy to say, but man, yeah. you deal with tens of thousands of pounds and bales, and you got to know where everything is. And now I got to, it's, it's a lot to coordinate. It really is. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess I think when a company gets a burn that a, a bite that's so bad, they then do stuff like that because they just the memory is just too painful. Um, but I don't know. It's uh, I feel I feel bad for I feel bad for everyone that it happens. I mean, what it, Anderson Ventura? Yep, they had that young cigar maker lost his whole factory. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, this is uh, this is regretfully, but I. I don't remember. I think the previous for what they things were barn fires, right? Do they also have a warehouse fire? In they had a, they had a warehouse one like ten years ago, and then Alec probably had a barn fire like last year or the year before. Right, Henderson had a factory fire. I mean, yeah, we usually hear like one of these a year. It seems like. Yeah, you can understand. It's you. You've been there. Do you really have faith in the electrical systems that you see? <laughs> no, no. I mean, come on. No, I mean, and, and, and when you're out like, with the barns, it, there's not. I mean, the barns is nothing out there. You know, I mean, it's like like there's you no said, to, there's no way to extinguish the fire. It doesn't. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Once the barn goes, the barn's gone. There's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. If you, if, you, if, you, if it isn't at a point where you can hit it with a fire extinguisher and yeah. knock that down, you're done. Yeah. There's there's no there's no there's no forgiving from that one. But yeah, I I wish there was a solution. But no one has come up with one that doesn't destroy the product to try to prevent the fire. And in the end, the building isn't the expensive part. In most of these cases, it's actually the items that are in. So yeah. Yeah. saying you're going to save the cost of the building is like fuck, great, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it's that, that, some of these buildings are like shoestrings. You look at them, man. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it, it's, it's literally, yeah. Uh, all right, we're at the end of the show, Aaron. Anything else to wrap up before we wrap up with Steve? No, I think we covered uh, quite a bit tonight. Yep. So, Steve, uh, I want to thank you very much uh, for being on the show. We do appreciate it. It was great talking to you. Hopefully, we did good tonight. Uh, <laughs> the show it. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I want to make sure the show doesn't I don't, suck. I don't know if the people that watch it enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> no, we did good. We did good. Yeah. When we see the, uh, you know, when we get to 1230, it's uh, on the east. It's, it's tough sometimes. So, we do appreciate everyone hanging in there as well. Uh, closing out next week, uh, there's a couple of shows on primetime on Monday night. Jukebox will air. Uh, we will be doing the Tina Turner tribute show. Uh, Dave Burke has already been prepping for that like overnight. So uh, we have that going. Uh, and then on Thursday, next Thursday, uh, we have Don Doroteo cigars uh, coming on. So you want to tune in for that. But that's going to wrap up primetime episode 269 into the annals of history for Thursday, May 25th, now Friday, May 26th on the East Coast. We'll see everybody next time. Take care, everybody. See you guys.